WrestleMania. And I'm gonna take your precious winning streak. You can't hide from the dead man. You, me, WrestleMania. We've been waiting in a sea of destruction. Michaels has been castrated of his dignity. What I want is to kick your teeth down your throat. Your match with me, Michaels, is no Nobody beats the wrestling machine. I am the greatest wrestler of my generation. I'm calling you out. This Sunday, my dream comes true. Nobody beats me. I've made a living out of proving people wrong. Triple H is next on that list. And just like that, it was over. Take that hammer and stick it straight up your ass. At WrestleMania, the WWE Championship comes back home. I swear, I will unleash hell on you. Then we get the Booker T and Charmel against Boogeyman two-on-one handicap match. Unlike the pre-match fun, this wasn't any good. It lasted for just under four minutes. It ends when Boogeyman eats the worms, puts a load of worms in his mouth. Then Charmel tries to sneak up behind him with Boogeyman's staff, but Boogeyman catches her and then kisses her with the worms still in his mouth. Boogeyman then hits a choke powerbomb who gets the pin. Matt, how did you find this? I just don't even want to talk about this. <laughs> I just don't even want to devote any time in my life to a match, a wrestling match that involves somebody called the Boogeyman. What the fuck? I mean, what do you, what do you, even, what do you even say? I mean, all right, okay, this was 2006, but are you going to show this to somebody say, hey, Watch this wrestling thing that I'm a big fan of. Maybe you'll enjoy it too. Who the hell is seriously watching thinking, yeah, I want to be a part of this? Fucking no one. Oh, I mean, and again, I, I keep, and I've said it so many times on this podcast, but, but I keep coming back to, this is the company that keeps trumpeting that they want to win a fucking Emmy. Y- yeah, well, with production values like this for a character called Boogeyman, yeah, you're definitely in for one. It's a guy who's, his outfit looks dreadful, his mannerisms are laughable, and I feel sorry for the guy who played him, because, do you know what, he, he was, if I remember right, I'm sure his name was Marty Wright, or Martin Wright, and he, he actually was on Tough Enough at one point, I think it was the one million dollar version, I wish possibly Daniel Pewter one, I can't really remember, but, and he actually showed some promise. He did like a promo and he came across really well, but he was too old, I think. Um, he, he was out of, I think he was like 41, so they disqualified him from the competition. But then they hired him and made him the fucking boogeyman. It was a bad match. He could, God bless him, but he couldn't work a damn. Booker T was clearly trying to carry it. The crowd were dead. He had fucking worms in his mouth. Come on. 
Who cares? Why? Why? Why do you want? Why? Why? Why would anybody <laughs> want to see this? It's absolute shit. I thought he was going to work himself Why into a coronary then. I, I've invested time in my life to watch somebody put fucking worms in their mouth, attempt to kiss somebody's wife. Oh, just. I tell you what. I tell you what. This match was worth it just to hear Matt talk. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's ranted for longer than the match. I, I know. I know. He's, he's he's asking who cares, and my my response to that is, well, you clearly do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I care about my t- my valuable time being wasted. Well, you're wasting your own time now, man, aren't you? Let's be honest. <laughs> well, do you know what? Then let's just label it. I'd be done with it. This was the worst match in the history of WrestleMania. Who's next? Oh, oh. I, I gotta give a shout out to the Boogie Man just because the well, the bloke, whatever his name was, Andrew thingy. What's his name? <laughs> Marty Wright. Uh, Ma- Marty Wright. Yeah, Marty Wright. Um, because I tell you what, he puts fucking everything into it. Do you know what I mean? He really does. Like he, he goes, he goes for it. But yeah, I do kind of go back to like, what is the, what is this for? And I felt bad for Booker T because he deserves better than this. And I felt bad for the worms because I think they're working. I think they're shoot worms, aren't they? I don't know if they're working worms or if they're no, actually shoot, they're shoot worms. Yeah, they're, so they're shoot worms. Like uh, this made me feel a bit, a bit like because you see them. In his mouth, and I'm like, oh, poor worms, you know, they, they do good things, don't they, worms, for the environment or something like that? I don't know, this was crap, I didn't pay attention to it, I didn't really like it. I thought that, you wanted to wait uh, someone on the outside getting all in, though, not Charmel agreeing to be kissed by a man with a fucking mouthful of worms was, uh, showed some commitment to the cause, but again, it's felt bad for Booker T Queen Charmel, they deserve better than this. That fish deserve better than that, as John Sarod once said. I, do, I mean, it was rubbish, right? It was rubbish. No doubt about it, rubbish. But I mean, I I think the boogeyman deserves some credit. I think he does. I think, as Tom said, if you give it your all in the in a, a character that's absolutely doomed to failure, you can't ask much more. I mean, the guy probably should have been given another chance. What I will say, better gimmick than the fiend, but still Get um, the doomed to failure. Fuck out of here! No, the fiend is an absolutely atrocious character gimmick. No, absolutely like, awful. No way! Ah, oh. I tell you why. Because this didn't, this hasn't impacted me whatsoever. The Fiend is a far bigger, more featured character than the Boogeyman ever was. Just as a disclaimer, I, I don't like the Fiend either, but I would watch 20 Fiend matches back to back than watch any more Boogeyman matches in my life happily. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to make you watch the best of the Fiend. <laughs> yeah. So somebody send me the list of the best of the Fiend. It's probably <sighs> out there somewhere. And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. We are on WrestleMania 22 on our WrestleMania series. It just keeps on going. And I guess we are now kind of over halfway, although not still not really technically because of the fact of the last four years of two nights of WrestleMania. But, you know, I guess we can just pretend that we're, we're past the halfway stage now of this epic journey through the history of WrestleMania. Joining me today, I have got, first of all, the polar bear, Matt Roberts. The polar bear who is melting considerably in this heat, as everybody will now know. And we've also got another another fine gentleman on the podcast this week. It's Tom Smith. Hello, mate. How's it going? You hot? 
all Pop. sticking to your leg. Yep, that's only because of the gaffer tape, though. No, nothing no, else. Of course, of course. Um, I tell you what, is this podcast is that kind of kind of great banter which puts us heads, shoulders, knees, and toes above the competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a that's an in joke because in the background of Tom's setting, uh, there is a lovely rendition of heads, shoulders, knees, and toes being sung at this moment, which you might you might happen to catch on the recording. Yeah. I don't know. We will find out. I was just saying the other day, so my wife has made a cameo on the podcast once. I don't know if anybody, if you, can, if you can remember, but there's one episode I just was bored, so I listened to one of the old episodes in the archive, and I could just hear her audibly sneeze in the background yeah. from a different room. So I was like, there we go. I recognise that sneeze. That's my wife in the background. <laughs> Good stuff. I think you. I think she's been on the recording before, but I think I've edited her out. Ah. Ah. <laughs> she got um, rubbish wrestling anyway i don't think that's particularly uh, controversial controversy mainly because she doesn't like wrestling so that would be the first problem with their uh, wrestling takes won't it Tom? exactly exactly i just wanted to quickly bring something to you guys attention so i mentioned before the before the mic went hot that i am wearing i'm cosplaying as tinky today in that sense i'm effectively i'm just wearing a shirt i didn't usually wear shirts um and it's a lovely kind of light blue number but i've had to be very selective about what i wear this with because i went into work wearing this and some like black chinos once and i looked at my Myself in the mirror and I was like oh my god I'm dressed like the fucking big boss man <laughs> <laughs> I've had to be very selective about what I wear what I wear with this with this shirt you need I to realized. get some uh, black trousers with yellow stripes down the side yeah I mean, the fact that I was carrying a nightstick didn't help. <laughs> yeah. Well, in case you didn't realise, I was a little bit unprepared for today's show. You would have probably noticed that from my intro, but also for the fact that I have not got any quotes from uh, the 35 years of WrestleMania book this week, I'm afraid. Oh. I've let everybody down. I am sorry about that, but hopefully we can make it all up to you with awesome podcasting today. And we are at WrestleMania 22, and I guess we need to go into our expectations for this one. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Tom, because I think, Matt, again, as I said last time, this is your sort of era so you know it's much more kind of familiar to you yeah. Tom what were your expectations well it's really interesting so I've just listened to you guys expertly talk about Wrestlemania 21 I think you said Tinky that Wrestlemania 21 was a Wrestlemania that you have never seen all the way through seen bits and parts of it and that is exactly the same for me with Wrestlemania 21 and Wrestlemania 22 so I knew I'd seen probably about five or six of the matches on here perhaps but I'd never watched the show in its whole the fact that it had never really grabbed me to to watch this despite the fact that i did have it on dvd when it when it was out on dvd led me to believe that it wasn't going to be great but i knew there were going to be some high points yeah i had every wrestlemania on dvd up to wrestlemania 31 i think that's when i stopped and that's when dvds kind of stopped as well really well didn't you actually have every i had near enough every wwe pay-per-view there was a there was about five or six in nine from 2004 that i just couldn't they never came up as cheap on silver vision but uh, all the others i bought when they were cheap when i could when i could find them well i I was thinking to myself about this because i think they still release dvds they do yeah because i followed wwe uk home video whatever on on twitter because um, a friend of the show 40 used to run their twitter account and used to work there i don't know if he still does every now and again i think to myself what fucking sad wankers buying money in the bank 2020 on the on DVD for like twenty five quid for the Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah, guaranteed there's going to be some parent somewhere, some child is asking, "I want that for my collection." You Uh, know, I don't think it's even going to be that. I don't think it's even going to be that. I think it's going to be uh, parents buying DVDs for their children because they can't think of anything else to fucking buy them. Yeah, they're too too young for links, but they're too old (laughs) for toys. What do we get them? Wrestling DVDs. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, so similar to you, Tom, 
I and this one I said I've watched of WrestleMania 21 I said I'd watched like three or four matches beforehand this one other than the hardcore match between Edge and Mick Foley and I think I only watched that once and I think that was you that forced me to watch it if I Very remember likely. correctly Tom I don't think I've seen any of this show before I watched it for this particular review and my expectations were incredibly low for it and I think one of the reasons I've never watched it is because I looked at the lineup much like I did with WrestleMania 21 I went what have they done they split up all the people that are in any good and put them into matches with other people so Shawn Michaels is against Vince McMahon the Undertaker's got Mark Henry we've got Chris Benoit against JBL I'm looking through the lineup and going what have they done here they just they couldn't they ruined it they ruined it and I was also well aware of the fact that the World Heavyweight title match was quite short for what it was given that that was where they concentrated seemingly all of the in-ring talent so I my my expectations were really low going in Matt yeah, mine were exactly the same because, you know, again, I, I remembered the show. I, I was quite surprised myself. There were one or two things that I, you know, thankfully did forget and sadly was reminded of when I was watching the show. But yeah, expectations for this weren't really high at all. To be fair, I think, yeah, if, particularly if you were to look at like the you know, the match lineup beforehand, then yeah, it, it's going to look even worse. But some of them were actually a little bit surprising. So it was a bit of a mixed bag. But like, like you said, you, you, you'll find out more now just in bed. So in terms of our talking points then i'm gonna let you go first tom because um obviously myself and matt were on the last episode so uh, always get to get good to get a fresh perspective what do you want to talk about with regards to wrestlemania 22 hmm. there's a couple there's a couple of things that i want to talk about that i want to mention but i think i'm going to talk about is kind of encompasses two matches the place that women's wrestling is in at WrestleMania 22. Uh. One match which is built towards, which has got a storyline and there's seemingly a reason to happen about a uh, almost a obsessive fan turned evil and turned mad and one about tits. <laughs> and and I've got to be perfectly honest. And ass. And a bit. Yep. Yeah, probably. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the, so I was I was kind of watching it. Right. I'm not going to be to chase now. Mickey James versus Trish Stratus is my match of the night. Wow. I thought uh, this match was fucking brilliant. What's that ballsy move? I like it. I, I I went into it with such low expectations. I watched the build up video and I was like, this is quite good. Like it's kind of showing off, you know, the acting chops of of Mickey James because I fully believed that she was this crazed obsessive super fan. And then it also showed, we, I, I last show I did was obviously WrestleMania 20, which showed kind of Trish Stratus doing her heel stuff. And then, yeah, it showed off Trish Stratus doing her babyface stuff. So I was, I was kind of thought the video package was good. The crowd, now we will get onto this probably a little bit more. The crowd are a bit contrary, aren't they? I'd say in this one. But the crowd are so into this match and both of them work their asses off. The match itself is really, I thought it was really good. It's really hot. Loads of kind of false finishes given a decent amount of time. In fact, it's given only 19 seconds left, less than the World Heavyweight Championship match. So you've got a decent amount of time to actually put the match together. And I thought it was really, really good. Then later on in the show, we get Tori Wilson versus Candice Michelle in a match that from what I gather was basically something to do with a Playboy tie-in, which I didn't quite understand. And I'm not going to lie, my wife came in as I was getting to that point in the show and I said, oh, fucking hell. And I said to her, I'm going to watch and kind of carry on watching this. And we started watching it and she was like, this is embarrassing. And I was like, I know. And I turned it off. 
<laughs> so, so I can't bring I'm myself to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that after. Um, and then when I turned the network back on and went to rewatch, it had gone to the end of the match, and I didn't rewind it. So I haven't actually seen Dylan's match because I thought it was. I just thought it was so shit. And I was like, do you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna waste my time with this because I was a bit up against it as well watching this. To be perfectly honest, but I just thought, what two completely contrasting reasons and styles of match to have and one i thought was absolutely brilliant and i think is i think we've kind of with the few few there's been a few times that we've watched trish stratus and she's not been great and then there's been a few times where we've watched her she's been pretty good and this is very much in the very good category and is one of the reasons why i think she gets a lot of the plot she does and mickey james in this match is absolutely incredible which is why mickey james is my mvp as well i'm giving this match a lot and i i, I watched this whole show without taking any notes as well and i found that i enjoyed it a lot more and this is probably the high point of my enjoyment of this pay for you was was that Tristra Aspis's Mickey James match. So we've unearthed your MVP and match of the night very early doors. I'm going to give you my MVP of the night as well, linked to what you said earlier on. It's the Chicago crowd are my MVP. I think they are fantastic during this show, except during this match. Actually, this was the one match where I wasn't particularly happy with their with their actions. But more the fact that if I had been faced by that card going in beforehand at WrestleMania, having travelled. Where you know as far as I had needed to travel to get to Chicago, I wouldn't necessarily have been able to get up the same energy that this crowd does during this show. So they are my MVP. Having said that, they don't react, as you said, Tom. They're a bit contrary during the Mickey James Trish Stratus match, and I don't. Actually, I'm going to give them a pass because this is something that I think wrestling has to take ownership of itself a bit more because they, they're constantly there's constantly this thing. I've seen some people online kind of criticize fans for being contrary. And sometimes I, it annoys me. But other times I feel a bit like, well, you, WWE, AEW, whatever promotion you're talking about, you have to convince people of who they should be cheering for and who they should be booing. If you can't do that, you've not done your job. It's your fault, not their fault that they've, you know, that they've taken the time to go against what you've programmed in. And with Trish, I was a bit like, well, she came in as a heel. She went babyface for a while. Then she turned heel again when she was obviously against uh, you know Chris Jericho now she's babyface again we're in 2006 she only debuted in 2000 that's four turns in the space of six years I'm sorry but you you can't expect people to react to Trish Stratus the way you want them to when you've turned her that often that's too yeah. much in six year period that's too much and it will you know as, as, a, if you, as a fan if you really invested in Trish Stratus while she was a babyface and then she turned on you and went heel like as a character as opposed to a person outside the ring if you invested her in a character you would have felt let down by her when she turned heel and that's fine because that's what you're going for but you can't then expect people to just jump on board with her again when she when you decide you've decided she's now going to be babyface again this is the issue of turning people heel and face so often is that you lose all fidelity of feeling for an individual and it just becomes oh, i'll just cheer for who i want and in this well, case they cheered for mickey james well because i'd also wanted to ask matt about this as well because because i wasn't watching at the time I know you weren't either, Tinky. Was that was this was this a one-off reaction from this particular crowd, or were the crowd in general starting to turn on Trish as a babyface? Because for me, whilst I think she is a good babyface, I think she's a better heel as well. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I think Trish is great at both. But th- th- this was the first time that she was booed that badly. Like th- there may have been, I'd have to go back and check. There may have been like a smattering of boos every now and again, but th- you know, in, in large part, like you know, th- this was very much the crowd were fully for Mickey. James and to be honest I think it was more just the fact that Mickey was so good
good in the role as just a psycho sort of, you know, lesbian stalker and to be honest, I, I do think, you know, some of the stuff that she did, you know, like like in the, the video package that they mentioned, you know, she said Trisha had nice boobs and she tried to kiss her a couple of times. She did some sexually suggestive stuff in the match. I, I genuinely think that helped, you know, helped endear her to the crowd. But yeah, the, the, the crowd were fully for Mickey in this match. And yeah, she, she was absolutely great. So fair play to her. She was really good. And I I'm I don't have a problem with you making her MVP, Tom, because I thought she was absolutely brilliant. I thought this match was really, really good. I really did think this was a really good match. The best women's match we've seen at WrestleMania up to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to WrestleMania 22 quite easily I think WrestleMania 19 was pretty good as well but this was this was for me definitely a step above that and I think they they had a, they contested a really really decent match there was one little bit of untidiness towards the end yeah but other than that I thought this was a just a really excellent contest full of heat I mean yes heat for the wrong person but hell at least it had a reaction people were interested people were invested and I think given, given where it came in the card as well I think you could have been forgiven for them not necessarily getting up for it we've not long been through some well one particularly spot filled contest that could easily have killed the crowd but combining the quality of the crowd with the quality of the match made for something pretty decent here so yeah i'm i i think this is really good too as for the other match yeah i mean the less said the better i think and you're you know this goes back to something tom you you point out a long time ago which is you kind of you've got two different presentations here but the problem is is that they're still the the wrestlers are are presenting themselves in a different way and the and the writers are but then when it comes to being on screen you've got the same commentary you've got the same undercutting with the commentary and they they barely make a difference between the two jr to jerry lawler in the opening seconds of this match says mickey james she might be a little too old for you she's in her early 20s oh yeah I heard that. but but even that is kind of drawing upon the sort of tna aspect of it as opposed to the fact that there are two women there are two people fighting for a prize, you know, ultimately, in the same way as any of the men are. Mm. So even that was a bit of a shame. But yeah, Tori Wilson, Candice Michelle, four minutes their Playboy pillow fight went, so you didn't really miss much, Tom. And I don't believe they hit each other with pillows at any point, so <laughs> no, not really didn't. entering into yeah. the spirit of a pillow fight, are they? <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not playing by the rules, ladies. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, they definitely didn't. Um, that pillow, I completely forgot that I even existed. And do you know what? I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that's the worst Brawn panty style, you know, dress evening gown type match ever. Because at the very least, at least in the other type ones, you'll occasionally get the the women who end up doing like the roll up spot and they'll end up rolling over the referee, which at least gives me a mild chuckle. And we didn't even get that. So fuck this match. That was crap. So sorry. This you, you raise an interesting point there about the referee spot. That's Jack Doan's job. To referee those matches, as we've That's seen. That's what so I far. thought. <laughs> and the also thing, who the fuck is this referee? He's also the referee in the Edge McFoley match. And it's just like some weird old guy that I've never seen before. I think he was Mickey or something. No, Mickey James, that was the woman in the other match. <laughs> Mickey <laughs> Mickey Henson. Saying... Mickey Henson, isn't there it? There we go, thank you. Who the fuck's that? <laughs> I think he was either WCW or ECW guy. He was an ECW uh, rat, if I remember, yeah. Right. Oh, uh, ECW as in WWE's ECW or ECW ECW. No, the as in WWE ECW. <laughs> oh, I think he was originally then a WCW referee. Yeah, I only know old John Finnegan who does a stupid fast pack counts. He was. He was a WCW referee from 1992 to 2001. That's that's where he's come from prior to this. And then he, he had a four-year break between when WCW ended and then came into the WWE in 2005 so 
that's why you've probably not seen it much. I wonder what he did for those four years. Mm. Just chilled out. Yeah, probably had a couple of shits. <laughs> At, least a tug. Couple. At least a couple. A little tug every now and again, you know. He looks <laughs> too far. He looks like he needs it. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of a tug, anyway, Trish Strauss, Mickey James. Uh, <laughs> oh, see, you were you bringing bring that muck over from last week with you oh, and Stephen I... being rampant perverts. It's not going to happen on this show. <laughs> I do that. Trish. I do that off mic, if you know. <laughs> Who's Mike? Right. Mike McGurk. <laughs> you know, you remember her. <laughs> this match, you know, fair play to Tom Wright. I, I respect the hell out of you for making this your match of the night and giving Mickey James the MVP of the night. Fair play to you. I, I wouldn't argue with that. Now, I've got different feelings on this match to you guys. As a match, the first half of it, in particular, I felt was really bad. And knowing a lot of Trish's work and being a fan of her at the time, I expected more, at least for the first half. So I didn't like the match for a while. It did take a long time for it to get going. And I felt that the crowd felt that way as well. I thought they were quite quiet for a good portion of it. And they did start to come alive towards the end. So fair play to them. They absolutely managed to get the crowd on side by the end. And they were actually quite loud for it, which was great. The finish, which I don't know if you've both seen the completely unedited version because they didn't show it on this version of the network as well. I remember the finish so well because it was so spectacular spectacularly bad it's still in my mind from the time mickey james basically went to do the stratisfaction and just fucked it up so bad that she just sort of had trish in like the headlock position and and just crumbled and fell they both sort of looked around not knowing what to do and that's where all of a sudden she hit the chick kick and that was the finish which is why it comes across as quite abrupt on the broadcast Again, I still remember it because it was just so bad, but yeah, they have edited it out since. Another spot that they edited out, which I'm I'm sure you guys have seen this because I know this was plastered on the internet for ages, uh, was when Mickey, you know, grabbed Trish's cross, you know, did did the sign and you know, licked her hands, you know, to, to the crowd. But but anyway, um, the, the storyline for this match w- was amazing. And I, I kind of feel bad for them um, because, you know, it's one of those things that I think had that, had that storyline taken place to this day, it would have been celebrated as one of the best ones of all time. I, I really do think it, it, it was that good at the time. It was just in the wrong era. And it taken place now, it would have had even more respect than it does because it is quite sort of celebrated and well-known. And it was a really, really good angle. You know, it went on for a very long time. There was loads of great twists and turns. The Mickey James heel turn at Saturday night's main event was fantastically well done. My only slight minor pick of things that I didn't like in, in the run-up to the uh, to, to the match was um, that they showed Mickey had kidnapped Ashley Mazzaro and had her in the ring and was goading Trish into coming down to the ring, you know, stay away or I'll bash her head in. But the weapon of choice was a microphone, which, all right, okay, it's not like she's got a gun to her head or anything, but, you know, that that's, that aside. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it was an absolutely fantastic storyline. I do feel that the match could have could have been a little bit better, and it was unfortunate that they did have those sort of um, spots that did get mistimed a bit, but overall, like I said, it's definitely worthy. I can see why you picked it as match of the night and Mickey James as your MVP. Yeah, like I said, it was good, but my, my memories of it were I, I actually remembered it being better. So, yeah. I, I tell you what, it makes me it makes me a little bit kind of unsure of what to trust now in terms of the, the edit, because I mean, I'm judging the match purely based on the edit that we get here, and if it's been heavily edited, which I imagine they wouldn't do to the 
pay-per-views because they would have been shown live at the time. I always just imagined they'd show the matches at least in their entirety. I guess where they couldn't hide the the botches, they will do. But you know, in this case, obviously they had an angle that was shown that they could just switch to. So yeah, that that makes me a little bit worried. And I guess maybe we need to put out a disclaimer for all of our shows is that we just we just review what we see. You know, we don't know that you know as you've pointed out, Matt, we don't know that there was actually those botches. And I think if if I'd have seen that in this match, I would have it would have dented my enjoyment of it significantly, especially towards the end. So we can only we can only judge that this show and these matches on the on what we see on the network. And in all fairness, dude, that that's a fair point because I, I probably am letting that sort of memory that I've got of it colour my view of it a little bit so I, you know that, that, that's probably not fair for me to do that you know I should judging on pretty much what I've seen but again I, I remember it so well because again it, it was it was so bad it, it just yeah and, and it made the finish come across as really flat and when I see it now it's just like oh quick check kick pin oh shit yeah I mean I think the reason why well part of the reason really why I rated it so highly as well was because there's about four matches on this card that I have seen before I've never seen this match and I went in with extremely low expectations so like the complete opposite of you Matt like, I was just like well, this this is a you know what year is this 2006 it's a 2006 WWE women's match they're not going to put any time or effort into it there would be a bit of hard work but that'll be it so well done to Mickey and to Trish so Matt what's your talking point do you know my talking point is uh it, it was going to be the crowd in, in fact fuck it I'm gonna the main sort of focus that I had was the crowd in particular for the John Cena Triple H match and the reason for that is because, as, as we now know, you know, I don't know if anybody knew then, but John Cena was a fairly polarizing character, apparently, as we certainly found out by, by watching this match. And what I couldn't quite remember, and it, it is really weird watching it now, that I felt that this was like this, that very night was the start of people trying to turn on John Cena. But looking at the presentation of the match, the video package with like the, the Chicago, you know, sort of walkout and everything, the, the mobster video, that type of thing for Cena's entrance, the crowd reactions to him, they they knew in advance that the, he was going to get booed the fuck out of the building. And I... I don't remember that. I I, I I knew that that was the case. And it's weird that I knew that was the case. But I did still read Power Slam here and there where I could you know pick it up at the time. And I remember them. Uh, I remember Finn Martin talking about or writing about how Triple H had criticized other members of the roster prior to this match for not getting heel heat against him and, and the fans cheering for them. And of course, he then had the same thing happen to him. So I, I knew that had happened before. It's only because I remembered that particular thing. I, I completely forgot about it, and like it, it really took me by surprise because they, they they clearly knew what what the reaction was going to be going into it. I mean, fair play to them. I mean, and they took this Triple H John Cena match, which you know John Cena retained the WWE Championship by making Triple H tap out to the uh, fantastically named STFU, which is no longer his name that, which is a crying shame. This crowd made this match what was on paper it was looking to be quite it was it was okay and it, it was fine it was, it was perfectly respectable but they took a match that was like i said fine and respectable to i actually say good and very good and they actually made it very memorable i i remembered quite a fair bit of this match before going into watching it and i was surprised watching it again but they really really did make this seem like the big fight feel that you don't get it at every wrestlemania main event you know we god knows we've seen enough of them to know now that not every main event comes across as, as a big time match and a big fight feel and this one did it really did feel like something special and i do feel that the crowd is is just a massive massive part of of why it, it really is fascinating to, to, to go back and see it 
now just to John Cena just get it. That completely booed out the building. Triple H completely cheered. Part of me thinks, you know, surely they, they must... Well, obviously they knew the team was going to get booed, but like, you know, they, they obviously were going to know the Triple H was going to get cheered as well because this is where they started doing the whole teasing the DX run potentially coming up. You know, where he did the, the cross chop within the match as well. But it's insane just to see how much the crowd helped this match. I mean, like I said, I don't know what you guys think. I find it really interesting. Again, similar to what I wanted to ask you about the Mickey James match as well. Like, this is a year after John Cena, since John Cena's been on top. And they're already... Are they already starting to turn on him? Is it just this crowd being contrary? Or is that a general consensus of what was going on at the moment? Because I was not expecting that. It's not even a mixed reaction, really. It's pretty much an over... I'd say it's like a 70-30 split negative to, to positive reactions for John Cena. I just find I find it really interesting. And it's not helped by that fucking dumb entrance that he does, which is probably the crappiest thing. I think one of the crappiest entrances <laughs> I've ever seen. Because I thought a few th- few things about this. I'm not really answering your question, Matt. So apologies, but uh, no, it's on my train of thought. So I think this is the first example we're really seeing of CM Punk politicking as well <laughs> in this. Because he, because you think about the way that people, the cameras are set on the ramps. If you're the cameraman and you're walking backwards down the ramp, they will walk backwards and then they always go to their left. So you see the other corner of the ring and then the rest is getting into the ring. They never go off to the right. They always go off to the left. And whereas CM Punk is on the right hand side coming down on the cameraman's left. So he is in shot the entire time as one of the Chicago gangsters. And I was like, he knows what he's doing. This lad knows he'll, he'll make it far in this business and stuff like that and also the fact that John Cena comes out and he's got this fucking he's got his dad's fucking trench coat on by the look of it because it's massive and because he's wearing shorts it looks like he's naked underneath it so he just looks like a gigantic pervert and he's ready to flash someone I was like this is crap and then, yeah and then you've got and yeah and then he fires a machine gun into the crowd fucking maniac and then you've got Triple H desperately trying to get cast as Conan at the time and he's and as he's coming up through the clunky ass stage on his throne and it's bouncing him all around all over the place he's supposed to be looking brooding and <laughs> sinister but he just looks miserable now i've mentioned this before i'm reasonably overweight but triple h has got this stupid thing around his stomach i don't even know what it is like a gigantic like it looks like a girdle of sorts and because it's so big he kind of like waddles to the ring <laughs> and it makes him look really fat <laughs> it's just like what is this and then, then after all that he just does this same stupid water bottle stuff and the other thing is the visual of King Conan coming out of the crown holding his water bottle. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? Could you not have drank, drank it out of some like chalice made out of a skull or something like that? No, you've got to have your fucking bottle of Buxton with you. Fucking hell, Triple H, you prick. It was Buxton. Uh, not every year. He's a Buxton no, guy. He's a Buxton, one of the biggest Buxton guys in the business today. <laughs> Triple H. Yeah, so I was really surprised by the crowd reaction. I actually quite enjoyed this match a lot more than I thought I would. I got to the, it was like about 40 minutes left and I was like, oh, fuck me. I got Triple H versus John Cena. And this is going to be another Triple H bore fucking wank fest of a match. And I think because of the crowd reaction and because I think the Triple H starts having fun halfway through the match yeah. made me enjoy this match a lot more than I would. It's no when it's no Mickey James versus Trish Stratus. Let's get, let's get that clear. But I enjoyed this match. It's not even the second best match on the card, but it made me enjoy it a lot more than I thought it would. And that mainly goes to the crowd. I, I still feel that this is um, this is probably Triple H and John Cena's best one on one match 
that they had versus each other as well. So seeing the ones they've had, this was probably the best. And the, the finish as well, I did forget to say that the finish of Triple H tapping out to that submission, which I can't tell you particularly at the time, how many people fucking hated that submission. It was only the second time that somebody had tapped out to it. The first time, it might have been Kurt Angle. I think it was like a Taboo Tuesday show around about October. It was either Kurt Angle or Shawn Michaels. It was one of the two. But this was only the second time that they brought the tap out finish for, for that submission. So in all fairness, them, it was a genius time to do it to, to get it over. So props to them for that. I, I thought this was okay. I, I respect was as far as I would go, to be honest. I didn't find it particularly memorable at all. I felt it was about in the same class as the Batista match the year before, to be honest. It just didn't. I just don't think Triple H is anywhere near as good as, as he likes to think he is. And as many fans think he is as well. The fact that, you know, you said, oh, this is the best match between John Cena and Triple H. I have no surprise in that at all. I have no problem believing that because I don't think that they make for good opponents. You don't think Triple H, yeah, I don't think he accentuates Cena's positives. And I don't, I think Triple H's positives are relatively limited as as, as he goes on, to be honest. It's okay. It's fine. The the crowd reaction was, did make it unique, I suppose. And, and that was welcome because it did make it a little bit different from the Triple H Batista match the year before. And yeah, I, I was, but I was aware of that coming. I, I was expecting that because I, as I said, I do remember that very specific thing. I think it was Kurt Angle got a lot of criticism from Triple H, apparently, because he couldn't get the fans to cheer for Cena. And then Triple H obviously went in and did exactly the same. <laughs> and, and I think in many respects, it's possible WWE leaned into it. I think, Matt, that might have been something, one of the points you were making at the start was like this entrance, this ridiculous Chicago gangster entrance was meant to increase the heat on him just because... Because yeah. like they were like he, he's going to get booed out of the building here anyway, so let's just lean into it and, I and, do, I, it, and do it more. I genuinely, I don't give them enough credit for that. <laughs> I don't, I don't give them, I don't, I don't think they do that because I think you look at how kind of tone deaf they've been to crowd reactions for people for so long. I think they did that because they think that it looked really cool. I don't know though. I think that this was the beginning of even if it wasn't the start, it was near the beginning of the Cena booing, and it was probably near the beginning of any sort of situation where the crowd were regularly going against what the, the company were giving them and they, they were also, to Stephen's point last, it, when we did WrestleMania 21 again, I imagine the majority of people who are in the building for this are the travel fans the ones yeah. who come in, because there's only 17,000 people in the, in the in this arena it's not like the 60, 70,000 odd you get in the stadium, so it's probably something like 80% of people here are the travel fans, the, the hardcore if you like, the, the WrestleMania hardcore fans, and they are much more likely to to sort of go against them. So I, I don't know. I I, I I think they may have been leaning into it. But whatever the case, he obviously gets a huge amount of and I, I, I find it fascinating because Cena they never kind of leaned into it completely and I think obviously they decided that he was worth more to them as a hated baby face who, made, who shifted a load of merchandise than he was as a reviled heel who wouldn't have done ultimately um, but it's just it's just a fascinating thing and I, I don't think even now I think obviously Roman Reigns had this bit, bit of this treatment at one point but they in the end lent into it and said right well fine we'll go with him as a heel. Cena never did and I find that really fascinating. I think the Roman Reigns stuff was much worse than the job consumer stuff personally because it just never ever seemed to me that Roman Reigns was a natural babyface whereas I do think John Cena is but I thought the yeah the, the some of the Roman Reigns stuff when he was when they dauntingly refused to turn a babyface for a, a heel for a very long time it oh, was 
awful. But we've got our all to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying there, Tom. I mean, t- to be fair, and not to say that social media wasn't around, you know, when John Cena was on the rise, because it certainly was, but it, it's so much more prevalent now that I just think it, it's so much easier to hear the loud noise, particularly with social media now. So I, I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm not quite sure, you know, if, if, it, if it has been worse for Reigns, but there really was like a lot of hatred for Cena, you know, around the time. I said, I remember it was crazy. One thing I almost forgot as well is just a little thing earlier on in the night where they were showing John Cena and Triple H getting ready um, in their sort of respective dressing rooms. Triple H had this big ass locker room and John Cena was clearly getting dressed in a shoe cupboard. Uh, <laughs> and also there was just some random hands just off camera just rubbing Triple H's arms. The the other thing that I thought was really crap, I will say it was really crap about the build up to this, was the pre-match kind of video package telling the story of the match but it basically wasn't one and all it was was footage of a f- press conference and Triple H being like it's going to be the easiest night in my life and, like, and to say, basically saying that how much of a shit wrestler John Cena is and ultimately uh, he's doing that to try and get heat on himself and stuff like that but ultimately knowing that you're going to lose it's just going to make you look like a fucking tit coming out of it because you're automatically it's mugging yourself off to quote DJ Khaled the great man congratulations you played yourself because I just thought it made him look really stupid and Triple H is someone who I think of as being reasonably smart and especially when it comes to protecting himself that was a really weird questionable decision from him to go that route yeah there wasn't really much of a build up for this at all it didn't um, feel like there was at all because that you no. said the only thing they did was show you that press conference that mm. was pretty much the entire thing about building to the match it was kind of like well what what have they been doing for however many months leading up to Wrestlemania Oh, when was it? It might have been, I think, maybe at the start of February, mid-February, where they started to know that the match was going to happen. Um, they did a tournament for, for Triple H to win. He, I think he beat RVD in the big show in the in the final to win the title match. I remember that. Yeah. I I wasn't watching it at the time, and I flicked, I was flicking through the channels, and at the time, I remember watching it, uh, just because it was on like Sky Sports, and I remember watching it thinking, I reckon... Rob Van Dam should win this because he seems by far the most over with the crowd out of anyone. And Triple H won, and that, and then I was like, I was actually really enjoying the match, like completely out of context. And I was like, this is really good. I'm really enjoying this. I might, I might get back onto it. And Triple yeah. H won, and I was like, oh fuck off! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, oh fuck, fucking fuck off, Triple H, you big nose. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah. it. And then I think they did, they did a face to face segment on Raw once where, oh, what did he say? Triple H said something on the lines of, uh, "I'm not afraid of a guy who's." one big move is pumping up his Reebok, and he just took the piss out of him for the entire segment made him seem like absolutely nothing and yeah, that, that's probably why people freaking cheered him because he did he just buried Cena at every turn and there was there was basically no build I wonder whether or not that this sort of period of Triple H dominance did some serious damage to their numbers mm. because I mean it's difficult because they they still obviously did were still profitable and they still did big numbers compared to even now really in some respects because they're still I mean it's, it's a bit strange because obviously we don't have pay per views anymore we don't have TV numbers in the same way like obviously the TV has changed the landscape has changed it's difficult to compare but they're still decent numbers but it just feel like you were a personification of that issue Tom when you oh fuck's sake I'm not watching this anymore because Triple H is won I mean I'm sure there were lots of people who at some point during the, the years between 2002 and 2006 were like tuning in randomly and then we're like oh Triple H is still on top oh fuck this I'm off you know I, I, I can only imagine that that was the case okay my talking point I've been uh, mulling this over in, in my head for a little while but I've decided to go with my talking point as Vince McMahon oh yes <laughs> 
<laughs> because I'm gonna I'm gonna say something now. Vince McMahon was close to being my MVP this night, right? Because he was fucking brilliant during. He this is night. my MVP of the night. <laughs> He is so good during this night. Like, I obviously, all the disclaimers in the world about what a dickhead he is and everything else, but the the bit when he does the prayer before, no. you know, with, with no. the McMahon family is just absolutely hilarious. Gets down on his knees and kind of does a prayer where he talks to God and tells him that he doesn't like, God doesn't like him and he doesn't like God and it must piss God off royally that he's so successful despite being a, an utter bastard, basically. And it's just, it's just brilliant. Like, he's just really funny. His walk, obviously, he does his walk to the ring and then he has this match with Shawn Michaels and I thought the match with Shawn Michaels was bloody entertaining I thought it was a bloody entertaining match it was the same as every Vince McMahon match has ever been let me just say that for a start this is what Vince does and actually it made me think a little bit going on a slight side note here I remember when we reviewed WrestleMania 26 which we will be reposting again not too distant future I said on that show I feel like Vince wanted that match to be rubbish because Vince McMahon knows how to do a good match he's done the same match over and over again and it's always relatively entertaining so i've i and i still stand by that i think that's the case and, and seeing this showed me again you know here he is don't get me wrong Shawn michaels is phenomenal in carrying him to this match but they put on a really 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 fun match to the point where i wasn't any longer disappointed that Shawn michaels was wasted against vince mcmahon i i just thought yeah this is this is really really decent they had a really good story within the match as well as going into it i thought you know really interesting thing is a time in Shawn Michaels' career where he's not really interested in just a plain old feud. He wants there to be something unique or something specific that he can get his teeth into and really kind of explore the emotional side of his character and the and the response that his character would make towards his opponent in specific scenarios. And I think he he really does a good job here. I think it's a it's a really good match, really enjoyable. Not my match of the night, but really enjoyable. Yeah, I really like this match as well. Um, and again, I, I very much thought about the parallel between this match and the match with Bret Hart at WrestleMania 26. Although I kind of watch every match and think about some way to link it back to Bret Hart. <laughs> so that's not necessarily uh, exclusive to this match. But I, I thought it was really fun. I liked I liked the involvement from Shane McMahon. I thought mm. it was good. I thought him coming down to the ring and then getting handcuffed, you know, hoisted by his own petard, getting handcuffed, you know, and getting the shit kicked out of him with the kendo stick. The only thing I would have liked, I would have liked Shawn Michaels, whenever whenever he walks past him, to have just punched him. Do you know what I mean? Just another, you know what I mean? I would have just liked that because just for my own satisfaction, I would have enjoyed that because I don't like Shane McMahon much. You did once. Um, <laughs> yeah, just was. But that was because he was trying to reach in and get something, I yeah, think. Yeah. Rather, I would just liked him to just walk past and just give him a casual like super kick every now and again. Yeah. Brilliant. I liked all the involvement in it, all the all the all the schmozziness going on. I loved the spirit squad coming in. And one of my contenders for MVP would have been Kenny Dykstra. Because that because yeah. that when Shawn Michaels throws him over the top rope, the air that he gets is just unbelievable. <laughs> right at the beginning right from the match starting I was like fucking hell they're going in hot with this because right from the very beginning Shawn Michaels is trying to hard wave Vince McMahon isn't he right at the beginning he's trying to trying to bust him open and I was like this is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun and I have seen this match before as well but I couldn't remember and I think I quite often get kind of spots from the Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan match and the Hulk Hogan Vince McMahon match and I, they all kind of the three matches kind of swim together in my mind so it was really fun watching it just without you know without any of that going through my head and yeah, it was just it was just a good laugh. The spot where he pulls up the giant ladder was great, especially the fact that he's really struggling to get it up <laughs> was great. Oh, it's just so so much fun. It's just like 15 to 20 minutes of just yeah, just having a fucking laugh. And I love the fact that Vincent Mann gets 
barely any offense in at all because that's how it should be you know what i mean I know yeah, he's a definitely. big fucking big fucking cunt but like and he's in great shape i love the fact that he's it's basically a tie-in to his muscle and fitness cover shoot which is brilliant and the heat on him is pretty nuclear but not as nuclear as the heat on vince's tanning bed must have been because my god i could feel the warmth radiating <laughs> off of him through the tv hit the man is insanely t- probably i'd say the most the most tanned i've ever seen anyone there might be some hulk hogan in WCW days where it might be stretching that but yeah Vince McTan strikes again <laughs> oh, do you know I, I can't say enough good stuff about this this may be my favourite Vince McMahon match this like I said Vince McMahon is my MVP of the night um, for the performance in this this is my match of the night this was fan fucking tastic and it's funny because I, I do remember very well at the time I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine um, in the run up to Mania saying what we were looking forward to and when this match got announced we the both of us just went oh great and, and honestly we were not remotely looking forward to it at all right up until the show started we were like oh great and we'll just fast forward when it comes on but again it was amazing there were so many good things about it from like you know like like you said tom from vincent man's gigantic orange frame like just his posing at the start his cartoon like over the top you know, look at my muscles the the prayer with the family was bloody entertaining as hell he, he was just so on form in this the muscle and fitness cover he'd be using that in the match was friggin hilarious the spirit squad i love the <laughs> finisher it's basically just the cheerleader sort of pick up and throw them in the air mm. Christ, the hype that they get Shawn Michaels with that is amazing. I, I will say that, you know, it's quite strange to look back and up, but the chair shot that Vince took, I mean, my God, that there's chair shots and then there's that one. And, you know, Michaels even held the chair up afterwards and sort of looked yeah. at it. The, the dent in it, oh, that was a little unsettling. The ladder shot that he took to the head, I mean, literally, hands behind his back, ladder to the head. The fuck you doing? That's... Ah, crazy. That's, that's the one I think that properly busts him open because I think it catches him on the top of his head. Yeah. I think that's where it is. And that's, oh, it's horrible. It's that, absolutely that, horrible. That was, that's also an example of Vince and his pride. You know, he couldn't he couldn't yeah. just put his hand up and sort of protect himself. He, he's got to do it hard way because that's just his, that's just who he is. To, yeah. to be fair, and I don't think Vincent Mann is worried about hypocrisy particularly, but if he were to bleed, then he'd have <laughs> to sue himself or fine himself because you weren't allowed to technically you're allowed to bleed, were you, back then? So you, you can't make the rules and break them, although I'm sure he did on many other occasions. Specifically doing steroids, I imagine. That's probably a rule he broke quite a lot. I don't know what the specific rules around blading were at this period of time. I, I think I think it was okay. I think it was after that because it was. I remember it was because yeah because Batista and Chris Jericho got fined for it, so it was a little bit after. But I remember Rick. Flair getting done by Vince after WrestleMania 8. So, like, I think the, the blading rule was, even though no one paid attention to it, and I'm sure yeah. in certain matches, certain people or certain people with certain statuses were given the freedom to do that if yeah. they wanted to. I think generally, generally, I think it's, it's something that they, they don't allow. And, and to be perfectly honest, I was thinking, I think you guys we're talking I can't remember if it was in the WhatsApp group or if it was on, on air so forgive me but the fact that there is so much blood in AEW really puts me off especially in every John Moxley match the guy busts himself open and this has got to the point where like if you if you have blood in every single match that you're in you may as well be wrestling in some fucking bar somewhere you know what I mean like working for like CZW or something like that doing these awful fucking barbed wire 
deathmatch shit. You know, what I mean, like it don't, I, I just don't see, I don't see the, the appeal in blood in every match. So I think they're using the right. I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but um, using the right capacity, I think blood can be done used really well. And in this instance, I think it was in this match because ultimately Vince Man's not a professional wrestler. Shawn Michaels is. He should be able to beat the shit out of him. And by having Vinnie Max face covered in claret, kind of at the end of it, kind of shows that he did beat the shit out of him. So it was kind of almost like a good visual representation of that. Like I said, after like that ladder spot, you know, when he brought out the gigantic frigging ladder, which you know, as you rightly said, Tom, he clearly struggled again. Get the damn thing up. I'm not surprised when you see the size on that thing. Hey, <laughs> it was massive for Vince to you know put stick his head in the trash can and you know to have the elbow drop off that. That, that was amazing. You know, Michael's doing the crotch chop again, teasing for DX down the road, which everybody desperately wanted at the time. You know, that was great. Shane McMahon ringside, great as well. I can't not you know talk about this match without saying how awesome Jim Ross was on commentary as well. Considering you know he, he, Joey Styles was his replacement at this time this was it was rare to hear jr back at the booth so it was it was good for him to be back there especially to be calling this and like i think at some point he said something on the lines of once they hit him over the head with the muscle and fitness um sign or frame or whatever he was like oh shove it up his ass (laughs) (laughs) i didn't appreciate jr during this match very much i found him a little bit over the top i I just was like come on this is not maybe maybe just genuinely genuinely believed all this stuff which i can well well believe given how he was treated at times working for the company but i just i just found it a bit over the top for me it would have been better utilized i think so this is this is during like the kiss my ass club and all that sort of stuff isn't it and and had jim ross had to do it at this point so what would have been good would have been if jim ross added more context as to why he specifically wants Vince Man to be beaten up. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't think he did that. And I think maybe that, I just found it, it would a have been a bit better. I just found it a bit distracting, to be honest. That was that was the main problem I had with it. Is I just think that you know your commentators should add to the add to the match, and I didn't feel like he did. I felt like he ever so slightly took away from it. It wasn't terrible. I just I just thought you know I I don't want to notice the commentary. That's the truth. I just don't want to notice it. I want it to be there and just happen. And therefore, it's not in the way of what the performers do if anything it occasionally increases my enjoyment it didn't that didn't happen during this match i'd honestly go so far as to say i, I felt he was perfect but because he, he like not only did he add to it which for me made the match even more entertaining but even at the points where all right okay you know they, they did the giant elbow drop off the huge ladder at that point he was even like whoa okay you know this is enough now you know you've beaten him up just you know, finish him. And I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, the, the finish, Michael's getting that switching music was awesome. Vince coming out, you know, when he got taken off the stretcher and, and flipping the bird as he was being pulled up the ramp. That image of Vince just middle finger going up the ramp is it, it, just quality. That's it, another was, thing I didn't like. Yeah, actually. I would think I didn't like oh. I just I just thought you're dead. Stay buried. All right, oh, you're, you're no. done. This, but I understand that the feud then carried on, and I think you ended up having DX against McMahon and, they did, and yeah. you know all that. But also, also it's but, Vin- but, Vincent Shane versus Shawn Michaels and God. Let's not forget true. that in backlash. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, like for me, it just I just thought that's a shame because he's been he's done. I think sometimes we get wrestling fans get carried away with the good visual or the cool moment and forget the emotional investment. And this is where for me. 
it undercuts the feeling that you've got as somebody who wanted vengeance for Shawn Michaels, for Jim Ross, for anybody else who's been part of the Kiss My Ass Club and has felt the wrath of Vince McMahon. It undercut that he got his comeuppance, him being defiant at the end. I just felt like, no, he's, he should be dead. The, he, the the dragon should have been slayed and no, like, no sense that he was going to come back. They could have done the same. They could have easily rebuilt him the following day on, uh, on Raw. So it wouldn't have made any difference. Here they sacrificed for me the emotional uh satisfaction for a cool visual and i and that's i i think that's a mistake yeah he's getting the heat back on himself isn't he i was gonna say i kind of think of him as like a, a michael myers you know freddy krueger type of thing where this no, no matter how many times you kill the damn guy he always comes back no matter what you do he always comes back at the end so mm. I, I Un- well. unflushable if you will <laughs> um to take that elbow drop from the top of the ladder with a bin over your head must be fucking horrible because at least if you're left there without a bin on you and to be fair most things will be better if you don't have a bin over your head let's be honest <laughs> but at least you can kind of know when the impact's going to happen and I'm sure he's braced the exact same the entire time but just being led there just braced waiting for anything to happen must be horrible and then all of a sudden just Oh, fucking hell. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it must have been horrendous. But I guess that shows the, the, the trust he had in Shawn Michaels to do it. Um, if, you, if you're going to get anyone to do it, I suppose. I didn't want to move on just yet because there's something, one more thing I wanted to um, pick up on, which is there's an angle from of Shawn Michaels doing the elbow drop which is kind of diagonal, same side as the hard cam, but diagonal across the, the arena from the side of the stage. So kind of kind of where like the timekeeper kind of bit is in that. No, of... no, no, no. So the other side, the left side of the ring, looking right. across the, the ring, and it's quite far back, but there's a bit and you can see him, there's, a, there's an angle of it and you can see Michael's coming off and the camera's kind of above Michael, basically. And you could see Michael Cole. And Michael Cole's not on commentary. Him and, him and Taz are obviously sat there waiting Same for their next, next thing. Michael Cole's reaction when this happens is fantastic. He's got his head in his hands, like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened kind of thing. And it made me wonder about this because obviously this period in particular, you've got two commentary teams, they're alternating who's doing what. And the the, the temptation to sit there and like not pay attention to what's Read going on the ring, <laughs> anything, anything else must be really, really, must be weighing on you massively. So for then to, you know, <clears throat> be able to react in the way Michael Cole is doing, quite organically and not this camera angle is not meant to show michael cole in any way like i just happened to catch him in the corner of the screen reacting to it it's it's just another cool shot of sure michael's coming off the ladder but you can see michael cole in the background and he is reacting so organically to it i was like that's really cool i've, I've got so much time for that well michael cole's a hero isn't he so what, what time we got here we got just over an hour so i think oh difficult what to do let's let's just go back to the start very briefly we probably won't cover a match but we'll do the the opening of the show um, and the the stuff around that, and it does begin with our traditional um, I don't know what the point of contention on this show, America the Beautiful, Howard mm-hmm. Finkel introducing Destiny's Child, Michelle Williams, and for a second I thought it was going to be Destiny's Child, and I was like, right here we go, we're really kicking <laughs> yeah. off now, but no, it happened to be the least, the least famous least, of the three. Yeah, Destiny's least favorite child. Ah, oh, she's <laughs> cool. She, she was on Never by the Buzzcocks at some point. <laughs> she was fucking that bloke prick from the ordinary boys <laughs> Preston yeah that's him no I mean that's the point you're not going to get Beyonce on never mind the Buzzcocks are you let's be, yeah. let's be clear so this was this was decent actually I thought it was 
kept simple. N- nothing sensational, but they kept it simple. Didn't go over the top like Lillian did the, the year the year before. Like a little bit of light choir in the background. Yeah, this was this was all right. I mean, it was it said it was not particularly notable, but it didn't go over the top. So I was happy with that. I think the timing's off a little bit at one point. I think right at the beginning when the music comes in, I think she's a little bit behind, but manages to recover admirably. So well done, Michelle. I don't take back what I said because I stand by that. <laughs> but fair play. Been nervous, I think. But then yeah, but by the end of it, I was like, oh, by the end, I was like, wow, this is really good. But yeah. She was a little bit behind, I think. Then we get the intro video, Tracing History of WrestleMania, set to a song I'm not aware of. It was dreadful. Don't don't even go there. It was awesome. Shine Down are a great band. There's no voiceover for this. This might tell you what I thought of the song, and I've not explicitly said what I thought of the song, but my question here is, was this the original song? Question mark. As if (laughs) I'm thinking, this sounds so generic, it must be something WWE put over the top. Like, I can't imagine this was actually a recording artist's song. Yes, I Shine Down is still a very good band going today. Then uh, hones in on the specifics of this show, the casket match, Michaels versus McMahon, the world title triple threat, and Cena versus Triple H. We do get some of Big Time by Peter Gabriel. Now we're talking. It's so and, weird, though. What a weird song to use. And, like, and Peter Gabriel at WrestleMania just doesn't feel right. Oh, it's, like, it's weird, isn't it? Peter Gabriel is a legitimately credible yeah. artist. For him to be involved with WrestleMania sounds is so strange, especially given who else usually is is part of WrestleMania. Well, and it's also like, didn't they use it at, at the previous year as well, WrestleMania 21? When, when no, it's a different, different, different big time song. No, no, was it? Yeah, it was a soundtrack of our lives. Was the band for WrestleMania uh, 21? It's just it's, it is weird because I'm like, I can remember the first time I heard it like years ago and being like, I know I've seen no my dad is a big Genesis fan so I obviously know who Peter Gabriel was but I was like I could watch him and be like it's a fucking sledgehammer guy <laughs> and, then, and then and then being like so did he did he do this song and then I was like no, this was made in like the 80s. <laughs> so like strangely, completely out of time. But they used, did they use like Celebrate by Calling the Gang or something like that at WrestleMania this year? They used, or something like that. There was a weird, one of them recent like PLEs that I watched, there was like Celebrate by Calling the Gang or something like that used. So I was like, well, fair enough. There's a Kid Rock song you. called Celebrate? <laughs> no, it's not fucking Kid Rock, man. <laughs> Come on. There was a Kid Rock song called Celebrate, so. Oh yeah. But, and they probably uh, have used that to be fair, but. I feel like this was the start of them going away from some of that drudgy rock, actually, the use of this song, because in the next, certainly I remember at WrestleMania 25, they were using a much more kind of dancey slash R&B style. Was it written in the stars? Yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Well, well, yeah, they used that. They used Kid Rock as well. Yeah, but it just, in general, it felt like they weren't always dipping into that drudgy rock I know, I suck the middle that. of the road nonsense that they've been doing for the previous five, six years. And and this was this was a start of I mean not to say better, but just something a little bit more I don't know, like lively, a little bit more <laughs> a little bit yeah and just a little bit less mono like it just everything just felt so mono and just sounding exactly the same as each other it's basically i would i wanted to i wanted to criticize them because I, matt recently said they were his favorite band but it's basically like the foo fighters basically their entire career is just the same song over and over again <laughs> you, you fucking no 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 i'm not gonna that shit slide no way Certainly, if you if you want if you want to listen to the Foo Fighters, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dissuade you because they do have one good album. It's the one they've released every single time they've released an album. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 don't know what you're talking about. So to follow up on an earlier point, calling the gang song Hollywood Swinging was uh, this year's WrestleMania. Mm. So that was what I was thinking. Not celebrate, but yeah, I can remember it being a calling the gang song. They've had that in the weekend as well. The weekend have had a song at every WrestleMania for like yeah. the last three. They yeah. love the weekend. Don't they? they do, yeah. 
They're not the only ones. Right, commentators for this show. Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler for Raw, Michael Cole and Taz for SmackDown, and then Hugo Savinovich and Carlos Cabrera for the Spanish announce table. So the same six commentators that have done the previous two WrestleManias on top of this. Taz's sunglasses are fucking something else, aren't they? (laughs) They're bizarre. I'd implore anybody to go back and take a look at them. And then also, there's lots of talk here about Jr. being back. So you mentioned this, Matt. You, yeah. you said, so are you saying that at the time Joey Styles was Raw's lead commentator? Yeah, it was over the. I think Jr. I think he was around about the time he had colon surgery. Um, so he was off for a while. So yeah, all in fact, they fired him. <laughs> I think they fired him actually, and Joey Styles was uh, replaced as was his replacement as the lead announcer. They tried to replace Jim Ross on a number of occasions, from my memory. I mean, obviously there was this, and then there was Jonathan Coachman. I think. Spot Grisham as well. Todd Grisham and they Josh tried Matthews, Mike, Mike Adam Lee. Did he? Oh, try? Mike yeah. Adam. Oh my God, Mike Adam Lee. Oh. And um and possibly um also originally like way, w- before this, Michael Cole had already like way before this had already had one yeah. go. But it's amazing that they ended up having to come back to Michael Cole to in the end finally do it because they just couldn't find anyone that was good enough. And also I think they had a bit of an issue and I think a lot of their talent, especially the ones with a bit of a bit of sway back stage kept saying like, I, I'd quite like Jim Ross to call my match at Wrestlemania so can you bring him yeah. back please this, I, gotta be, I felt really bad for Joey Styles because I think it was since around about it was about January time he was announcing for them and this was the first time that they pulled in from a show I mean he was there to replace Jim Ross and then they went oh fuck it we'll have Jim Ross back for the night that was a bit harsh to the guy to be fair but I would feel too bad I think Joey Styles is a massive prick so I'm not <laughs> too worried about it so what we'll do is we'll take a little break there Um, you can go away in the break and find out why Joey Styles is it is a scumbag um and we'll come back and cover the rest of WrestleMania 22. Can you imagine can you imagine Shawn Michaels insinuating that I'm the one that should be praying? Huh? Can you imagine that? No. Can you imagine me, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, praying? No. Guess what? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm gonna do. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to have our first ever McMahon family prayer. Everybody on your knees. Come on. Get down on the knee. Come on. I know you're pregnant. Get up. Come on. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Get down. Okay. Come on. All right. Close your eyes and bow your head. God, let's face it. I don't like you. You don't like me. I've defied every law you've ever had and yet been tremendously successful. And I'm sure, God, you never intended on a 60-year-old to have a Herculean physique as I do. I know, God, that you and I aren't close, but I know you and Shawn Michaels are very, very close. So tonight, God, I'd like to tell you what I'm going to do with your favorite wrestler. I'm going to send Shawn Michaels down to the fiery depths of hell. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Okay, welcome back to the show. Now we've got 
a lot of matches still to cover, so we'll try and uh, I, I could could count them that quickly, unfortunately. But yeah, we've got quite a fair few to cover. And the first one of those is for the World Tag Team Titles, and it features the Big Show at Kane against Carlito and Chris Masters, a tag match for the ages, no doubt about it. This one goes for just under seven minutes and ends when uh, Kane chokeslams Carlito and gets the pin. After the match, Masters and Carlito argue over who is to blame for their loss. And it seemed to me that Carlito was already getting quite a lot of cheers at this point. So seemingly this was him on a way on his way to a babyface turn. Tom, what did you think of this one? What did I think of this one, Tinky? That's a good question. Big Show and Kane. I sat there thinking to myself, Big Show and Kane. Big Show and Kane. This is the best thing you could ever possibly do with this. these two wrestlers, is to put them in a tag team together. Because I was watching and I was like, I know you can't really put too much into size and stuff you fucking whack these two big cunts in a ring together as a tag team they should be absolutely indestructible and i was like do you know what 17 years too late i was like i'm into this i'm into this idea of big show and kane as a tag team holding the belts <laughs> one of them being so massive that he can't actually wear the belt which was just lovely stuff as well and then i got started thinking to myself chris masters Chris, Christopher Masters. Who? What is Chris Masters, and who is he for, and what is the point in him? Now, I appreciate that he's got an incredible physique, and to play to him, they got the full Nelson pretty over with him with the with the Master Lock Challenge. But what is the point in Chris Masters? And then I thought to myself, Kylie, let's talk about Kylie for a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't mind a bit of Carlito, and I, I especially have grown a bigger appreciation for him post-backlash in Puerto Rico, or Puerto Rico, as uh, Donald Trump, the way Donald Trump pronounces it. Do you know what? I thought this match was pretty fun. I was like, why, I started watching it, I was like, who the fuck thought Big Show and Kane versus Carlito and Chris Masters would be an appropriate opening match for WrestleMania, your biggest show of the year? But I thought it was quite fun. It's only seven minutes long, and the fact that there's a, a little argument at the end between Carlito and Chris Masters masters made me think that was it's a strange thing to do because i don't know why you do that i, I didn't notice the fact that carlito was getting any kind of babyface reaction i must admit because it made me think about you know we've had this before you've mentioned this many times on the podcast thinking about how just because one heel has turned on the other heel doesn't by default make the other the wronged heel a uh, baby face so yeah. I was like oh, okay we're getting that again are we but if he did actually if they did actually end up doing something decent with it I don't know but I quite enjoyed this match so I've, I've rambled on a little bit then and I've repeated names quite a lot but I quite enjoyed this match but I still left this thinking I don't know I don't understand the appeal of Chris Masters and I don't really see the point in him I thought I, I thought you missed the trick there because I thought after you said about Kane and Big Show and how to use them I thought when you said Carlito and Chris Masters this is probably about the best thing you can do with Carlito yeah. and Chris yeah. Masters <laughs> I tell you, they are in an elimination chamber match I think and it, it, I can't remember if it's before or after this and they are amazing in that match as well I can remember watching it with Old Man after a couple of beers a few years ago about 10 years ago now Christ that's the night Edge won the title for the first time god I'm old so, uh, what? <laughs> That was the night edge when the title for the first time. Yes, yes. I can remember watching it. They're amazing in that, but they don't carry that form into this, unfortunately. But it was perfectly fine. The thing is about Carlito. The thing you need to remember about Carlito. (laughs) The thing with Carlito. Carlito's a prat. (laughs) Matt. I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but match the this, definitely not. But this match was so much better than it had any right to be. It, I mean, it, it wasn't the 
you know, the best match ever or anything like that. But it was all right. And at the time, I thought, oh, I, I thought it was shit. Um, and I rewatched and I was like, this, I mean, it was it was quite quick. You know, like we said, about, well, six, seven minutes. So it was nothing, you know, particularly fancy. You know, I think you're right, Tom. Kane and Big Show, two absolutely big fuckers who you can't beat. That's perfect use of the pair of them. I, I must admit, I, I was a big Chris Masters fan at the time. Um, I loved the Master Lock Challenge. He just looked like a Greek fucking god. That's that. That was his purpose. Comes out, does his whole entrance. Anything after that is a bonus. The the thing with Carlito, and this is a slight side note, but I'm not quite sure if you if you noticed the T-shirt that he was wearing, which had a picture of an apple on it, and do you spit or swallow? Oh yes. Now I'm amazed that even then WWE was selling this T-shirt, and I think I was even more amazed when at the time I asked my dad if he didn't mind buying it for me as a Christmas gift. <laughs> at which point he angrily told me to piss off and said he will never buy me something as vulgar as that. So I was quite upset to not get a Carlito Do You Spit or Swallow t-shirt. You were 15 at this point, yes? Yeah, it would have been around that, yeah. You know, I, was, I thought about this in in this show, and, and when listening to you guys expertly dissect WrestleMania 21 um, on the previous show, I was thinking about this. Like, the attitude gets a lot of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say criticism. Well, yeah, it does get criticized, but people people have celebrated it for how wild it is and how mad it is. You've got a Val Venus, the porn star, you've got Godfather and his hose and all that sort of stuff. This fucking era of WWE is mad. It is the most un-PC, like it is worse than almost anything they do in the in Attitude Era. You think about that t-shirt, that's a cum joke. Now, I know Val Venus actually had a cum t-shirt as well. <laughs> and the actual font was like cum dripping down Cock his back. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's but but did that take into account, like you were talking about like the slut stuff last week, when Vincent Mann calls someone, the, calls John Cena the N-word, you've got like all types of mad shit going on post-Attitude Era, and you're like, do you know what, it's just as bad, if not worse. I, I think I think of it as being worse because I didn't watch it at the time, so that's probably why, <laughs> but it's fucking bonkers and that shit. And the other thing, going back to this match that I forgot to mention, the Kane all of a sudden turns into fucking, I don't know, Le Parker or some kind of luchador in this match because he's just flying around all over the ring. He comes off the top rope, he hits a drop kick. Oh, what a guy. I mean, he's Glenn Jacobs is a cunt, but we, we love Kane, don't we? <laughs> I, I never saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> We've already spent way too much time on this match, so I'll just say it was perfectly fine, much better than I thought it was going to be. A prime example for me of where, and this is going to become a theme of this entire show, I think, of where the lineup massively undersold to me the yeah. quality of the show. Totally fair point. So next up, there's a backstage. Jonathan Coachman interviews Sean Michaels. Michaels says that over the last three years, he's stolen the show at WrestleMania, but tonight you shouldn't expect a five-star classic wrestling match. This is going to be ugly. He says Vince needs to get down on his knees and pray to God because HBK is going to send Vince to his own personal hell. Do you know what? I didn't put the correlation between these two promos together until you well, just the mentioned it. The Vince one with the praying. Vince praying. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? That's very good. I thought this promo from Shawn Michaels was very boring. But now that you've, now you've said that, I think it's genius. <laughs> I, th- I thought this was all right, but nothing, nothing. Yeah, yeah, I don't think Shawn Michaels is a very good promo. I don't think he's no. I don't think he's a particularly good one. I mean, but I would say that probably in in specifically towards the end of his career, his promos were about telling stories as opposed to popping anybody or or whatever. He he was all about just making sure 
that he told really good stories with with his work and he, that was all he was really interested in he doesn't even really want to just have matches for matches sake that wasn't that wasn't his thing yeah so next we get the second annual money in the bank ladder match it's a match between Matt Hardy, Shelton Benjamin, Finley, Rob Van Dam, Bobby Lashley, and Ric Flair. Uh, this one goes for 12 and a half minutes and is won by Rob Van Dam when he pushes Shelton Benjamin and Matt Hardy out of the ring from the top of the ladder and then grabs the briefcase for the win. Matt. This is probably one of the more forgettable ladder matches, I think. One of the particular things that sort of made me laugh is when it came to you know when i was thinking earlier on about uh, earlier on in the day i was like right we're gonna be recording later so i just like to have a quick run through my mind you know what did i think about certain matches and then and i was thinking about this and i completely forgot anything that happened in it now obviously i had written notes up about it i was like christ i'm gonna have to go back and have a look through and like i said you know and as i've said a couple of times i remember these shows because this was my sort of you know my quote-unquote era and I just, I couldn't remember that, hardly anything about it. I mean, it's, it's any sort of ladder match you've seen at, at the time. I mean, probably the two things that stick out were Shelton Benjamin, him being as good a flipping athlete as he had, you know, so that springboarding off the ropes onto the ladder, I thought was great. Did his running senton over the uh, over the top rope for the second year in a row. And, and Ric Flair taking the, the superplex by Matt Hardy, which was great. Very, very well sold. Other than that, I mean, the, the the winner was the right winner. I mean, fair play to them for that. At the time, I think there, there was nobody else. It had to be RVD. You, you can even make the case it was probably too late for him at that point anyway. But it it was it was fine. It was okay ladder match. Um, probably better then than it is now. I I, I do think it hasn't aged very well. Uh, but it, it was okay. It, it was entertaining enough. I think we'll look back at this ladder match, and I think it will have. What was it? Seventeen years ago, wasn't it? And I think if you, in 17 years' time, if you will go back and watch a ladder match from this year, this ladder match from WrestleMania 22 will have aged better than this one. Because I think that, that I think that what I like about it, and again, you may as well just fucking copy and paste what you guys said last week about it. But I, I think that, that I like the fact that there aren't still a load of really contrived daft ladder spots. There's no what there's no conveniently placed ladder led between the ring apron and the fucking barricade for someone to conveniently fall through at some point there's not you know they, they still use it as a weapon to hit people with and they do use it somewhat as a prop but the i guess that's what it is the prop aspect of it is down a lot in these matches they haven't started doing all these control spots and that i quite like the bit where rick flair takes a suplex from Matt Hardy and then sells it i've always find it so funny because it's so amazingly over the top like it's so telegraphed. Like I think I remember even at the time watching it for the first time, being like, he doesn't land anywhere near his leg. I've got no idea what. And then the commentators, you can see, are desperately trying to to kind of say. And at this point, it's all four commentators, all four English-speaking commentators are on the match, and they're all trying to trying to say what Ric Flair's hurt and how he's done it. And I think he forgets to sell it at the beginning as well, because he comes off the ladder, and then there's about two or three seconds, and then he starts selling his leg, which is which is which I've always found quite funny. But you're right about like, the uh, athleticism from from um, Sean ben- Benjamin is always impressive in these matches. I think they overdo Matt Hardy's importance in the match a little bit. The commentators, because they keep saying how much of a veteran he is in ladder matches and how good he is but he's always had a partner in these matches hasn't he and they didn't really they, I, it's a little bit of a shame that no one kind of counters that point but I thought it was fine the right person wins and Rob Van Dam why he takes that ridiculous bump off the ladder at the end of it mm. after he's already got the suitcase is beyond me but it didn't seem to hurt him or anything so it was fine I, I do question why 
Finley's in it, if I'm being honest. I don't know why Finley, and I don't really know why Ric Flair's in it, if I'm being honest. You get these two old fighters out of this match, and it might be even better. But and Ric Flair's actually, to be fair, is not in it for a lot of the match anyway, because he goes out the back. And I seem to remember a couple of months ago, Tinky, you talked about the, the X symbol, and like if it's kind of appropriate to be used and stuff like that. And it just furthered my point that that isn't the, the wrestlers are injured symbol. It's just not. There's something else. There must be. I reckon. Yeah, maybe, maybe. My feelings on this, I thought this was good. And you know what? I, I'm getting worried because the WrestleMania 2000 ladder match continues to go down in my estimation as I watch other ladder matches. I just found that to be so poor compared to each of these Money in the Bank matches and definitely compared to the year after when they just absolutely smashed it. That original one, I really have really got down on now. This was good. I, I actually think Ric Flair really added something to this. I think Ric Flair was a really good element that was completely different from what you normally get in your ladder match. And um, him coming back down the aisle after being taken off was just a great moment where people are really excited. They're really getting into it. The elements that he brought were really interesting. And it got me thinking about him and whether or not he was asked whether he wanted to do this. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because it's definitely out of his comfort zone. It's definitely not what he would normally do. And they, I wonder if they said, look, we haven't got anything for you at WrestleMania, but we could put you in the money in the bank if you were interested. Or whether or not, he was just a like anybody else on the roster was given his particular gig on the on the night and that's what he did. I don't know. I just, it just I was interested to know the weather because the back the the suplex that, that Mahardi does like the reason it was so effective is that you are worried about him because he is does look like a frail 56 old man. At this point, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And speaking of everything. Matt Hardy, it was the most protective superplex off a ladder I think I've ever seen. Fair play to him. But he's also taking a flat pack bump, which he doesn't do ever. Yeah. He doesn't take flat pack bumps. You know, it always takes it on his shoulder. So there is that concern. So I, that's why I was thinking, do, did you think they asked it? Do you think they said, look, Rick, we want, we don't have anything specific for you at WrestleMania, except we could put you in the money in the bank. It's up to you whether you want to do it and what you want to do in the match. Because actually, other than him, Finley doesn't take a bump at all, like really in the whole match. And Finley's equally old. I mean, he's an old guy by the time this, this, this match happening <laughs> sharp mention was fantastic especially the the two spots obviously the one where he like kind of runs up the ladder out of the ring similar to the previous year but i think better than the previous year mm. i prefer this spot than the previous year spot and then also then the leapfrog from the from the ropes onto the ladder i thought was really cool lashley was a little bit of a weak spot mainly because of the way he climbed the ladder as if it was the hardest thing anyone's <laughs> ever done and he just didn't sell the idea of being beaten down very well at all. So he, it just it was so obvious that he was slowly climbing the ladder in order to be caught, which is a shame. But but everything else I thought was decent. A close contender for me would have been whatever for MVP would have been whatever Bobby Lashley's skincare routine is, because <laughs> my God, that man has not aged. <laughs> And nothing has he since since he's left to come back. The only difference is I don't think he's got eyebrows anymore. But that's you know something I was thinking about. But yeah, very well aged man. <laughs> I mean, give to give him credit as well. I mean, fair play. He's improved leaps and bounds. I mean, he was so green at this point in his career. I mean, he was as green as grass. Um, so he's really improved a lot. In fairness, if he hadn't improved in 18 years, I'd be a little bit like, what's he still doing wrestling? I mean, fucking hell. 
So next up, we get Josh Matthews backstage with Mean Gene Oakland. They're interrupted by Randy Orton. Orton says when he is inducted into the Hall of Fame, it will be because of nights like this where he wins the world heavyweight title. He is then interrupted by Batista, who says it doesn't matter who wins tonight's match because they'll be holding that title for when he returns. And he's not far from being back. Tommy, like Josh, Josh Matthews hair. Oh, did I ever. Yeah. This wonderful flowing highlights. And he's so fucking gormless as well. He always has been. You can you can say what you want about Josh Matthews and I hate him as well. But that original series of Tough Enough, Maven had a year and a half, two year career at most. Uh, Nidia was basically the sidekick to Jamie Noble. Chris Nowinski was around for like, I don't know, again, a year. Josh Matthews still going today. I know as a commentator, but all the same. He's had a proper career out of that thing. Well, and, and, and in TNA, I mean, going. Come on, it's called it's know. called impact wrestling these days tom well that, that's that's something which i tell you what that's something we should, we should watch at some point is the old series of tough enough i watched them lately i loved the early series of tough enough never watched it oh, it was good. So good it was good then we get uh fink announcing the class of 2006 hall, six hall of fame um but says that brett was uncomfortable appearing the inductees are Mean Gene Oakland, Sensational Sherry, Tony Atlas, Vern Gagne, William Refrigerator Perry, The Blackjacks, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, weird seeing Vicky be greeted with happiness as she comes out mm. to accept the applause. And then there are lots of Eddie chants and Vicky's very emotional. It's a very nice moment. Any thoughts on the Hall of Fame bit here? I was wondering to myself why Bret Hart felt uncomfortable about it. And then in the pre-match video for the Shawn Michaels-Vincent Mann match, there's loads of basically callbacks to the Montreal Screwdrop. So I'm imagining that's probably why. And if you're going to be inducting someone into your Hall of Fame, I probably wouldn't use that particular angle. You know what I mean? It just seems a bit weird. It seems like really strange, like it crossed paths. You know, I don't I don't know why. I don't know. It seems to be pretty poor planning. As much as I am on the side of Brett when it comes to the Montreal screw job. If you haven't been able to get over it in nine years, I think it's about time to start looking at yourself. Well, I, or at the same time, I just, what, what I think is, uh, don't accept it that year then. Don't go into the hall of no. fame that year. If there's an angle going on that you find uncomfortable, then don't do not do it. Because I think that's what it is. Like, I, I do kind of know what you mean, but I do think that was obviously a very traumatic incident for him. And I know I'm a brat apologist, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the reality is it, it seems it seemed to have made a bigger deal out of it than it actually was. You know, so don't either don't go into the Hall of Fame or do, but don't not go. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't yeah. turn, not turn up for it. You know, it seems a bit like a... He had okay. a strange set of principles, I think, at the time that I'm not really clear on. I mean, the fact that he actually appeared on the show wrestling, what, four years after this, shows that he was very inconsistent in, in what he felt. And I think probably Brett is probably even now in a better place mentally than he was in 2006, in fairness. He was still kind of still recovering effectively from the stroke that he had a number of years prior to this. So... I, I, and actually, if you re- watch his Hall of Fame speech, it isn't the most articulate because I, I think no. he is still, you know, trying to get over that. And I think, you know, he would go on to be much more articulate in the future. So, yeah, I, I just think possibly maybe just a little bit oversensitivity about the Montreal screw job, which, you know, ultimately I understand was a, a difficult thing for him. And one day we will, I'm sure, talk about it properly. But that and maybe just, as I said, him feeling like he was standing up for something that didn't really exist, I think is probably the thing that happened. But yeah, a bit, bit strange and a shame that he wasn't there. I get, I, I wonder, I did, a part of me wondered, I know this is really cynical and really bad, but a big, big part of me did wonder, given Brett's ego, whether they'd said, we really need to have Eddie Guerrero announced last and he wasn't happy about it. 
Very possibly. Wouldn't surprise me. It maybe, maybe I could see that. Anyway, that's just conjecture. I have no idea if that's true, but it just it did cross my mind. Then we get the United States title match between John Bradshaw, Layfield, and Chris Benoit. Benoit defending here. This is a match that goes for ten minutes and ends when Benoit counters a clothesline from hell with a crossface, but JBL turns it over and grabs the ropes while pinning Benoit to take the title. Tom, what did you think of this one? This is the problem when it comes to not taking any notes because so i don't remember anything about this match <laughs> other other than other than the end which is uh yeah like you said a, a roll up or kind of a counted into a roll up and, and grabbing the ropes and i don't think i'd ever realized that jbl's entrance music had actual mooing going on <laughs> in the background which I, I never never noticed before what yeah i don't know what i just i was like what it's really audible (laughs) yeah i know i know once i noticed that i was like how have i never noticed that but you know like it also kind of in my mind always creates a little bit of a a confusion about who jbl really is supposed to be as a character because i'm like he's supposed to be like a rich rancher i suppose but he's also kind of got the they're trying to dwell or or sort of draw on the fact wall that street john colors. layfield did his wall street stuff so why is the carol there if that's the thing that they're dwelling? it just it kind of all meant a bit like okay so there's this rich guy on wall street who also is a rancher i what like he's, what he's not forgetting this? his roots that's that's what it i is. see I see. Okay, it just it was all a bit odd to me. Yeah. Part of that lends to the character. If, I'm be, if I, I think that maybe, but I think you're right. I think it's probably just confused. <laughs> I Matt? had that as a ringtone on my phone at one point. J- JBL theme. <laughs> um, well, you yeah, didn't so... have much to dip into in your own collection, did you? So. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was it was it was terrible. Like looking back at it, yeah, because it's so like over the top as well. And of course, I'd be the absolute twat who wouldn't answer the phone straight away because I want to hear the song. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Do you know, and it's not often I say this about a JBL match, but um I was expecting a little better. <laughs> I thought JBL and Chris Benoit, I was like, do you know what? Knowing the personality types, at least at the time, I thought, you know, these would probably have a good, hard-hitting, beat-the-shit-out-of-each-other type, you know, match, you know, you know, a lot of punches, a lot of suplexes, that type of thing. And I thought, potentially, I was like, oh, this, this could have been good. And it kind of wasn't. And the stuff that ruined it for me uh, was the, the cheap, the very, very cheap Eddie Guerrero tie-ins. The, the, the JBL trying to do the Eddie Guerrero shimmy and the you know the the suplexes the three amigos it uh, no thank you just d- didn't work for me and and really took me out of it a bit like that is you know the, the fact that the match wasn't very good aside what I will say is I do feel that the choice of winner was perfect I felt that that was that was JBL's role like in a nutshell that that was exactly the type of role that he was designed for you're relatively mid card okay if you want to slot him in upper card every now and again but he can be you know the the u.s chat the really good you know heel heat magnet for the u.s title baby faces can chase him for all day long you can drop it when it back that type of thing so i thought you know what that there we go he's finally found his niche but match wise eh like i said not not very good I agree with you about the Eddie Guerrero stuff. I thought it was particularly egregious here, and especially as JBL wins. So I don't have a problem with what you said about him being US champion. But you just had that moment with Vicky Guerrero, like literally seconds before this match, you've had the moment with Vicky Guerrero and Chavo together on stage. And then they do this, and it's all about Eddie Guerrero, and JBL like mocks 
his mannerisms and mock some of his moves. Benoit tries to fight the good fight and, and then pay homage to his friend. And then they have JBL win. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, don't, you, don't, you just don't seem to understand anything, do you? Don't get the emotional weight of the decisions you make. You know, and, that, and that's where I really, really struggled with this. And they just couldn't. They were like a child with a with a scab that they just wanted to keep picking at it, didn't they? They just couldn't let it go. There was, I know that all the kind of criticism that came Rey Mysterio's way because of the extent to which he spoke about doing this for Eddie and all of that in the build up and after this after this match but this was far worse for me than anything like that, any of any of that so not great i also think so i can't i don't didn't see it at the time but i seem to remember clips of it where jbl's in buckets of tears when they do the eddie guerrero tribute mm. thing on raw and i think and, and this is another thing where i'm like i know that's a kind of bubble show right where we're out of character we're out of kayfabe this is just everybody being honest but having seen that on screen how yeah. can anyone buy into this or you know after it just it's just uh, just it it frustrates me because it's just silly it's just really silly so i didn't like any of that didn't think the match was up to much either it was one of the more forgettable things on the show and i forgot about it <laughs> there you go the the one thing as well that i will say i'm pretty glad that chris benoit when he does the eddie grove tribute he doesn't try and do the little shoulder shimmy because you can just tell but <laughs> chris benoit cannot dance you know he's got no rhythm about him whatsoever he's he's the, the intense mate in the club who's just stood there just <laughs> looking for a fight you know what i mean well you're like come on mate they're playing the fucking bgs have a little dance and he's like no i could pop off at any moment all right mate fucking hell Calm down. I yeah. bet. He, I bet he used to get up there though for drowning pool, didn't he? A body, yeah. Oh, well, mate, bodies, but bodies hit the floor. That's all over. That's Chris Benoit all over, isn't it? <laughs> what a song. So next, there's a video package for the build-up to Edge versus Mick Foley, with Edge using his money in the bank briefcase to win the title, then losing the title when Foley is acting as special referee. Edge blames Foley for him losing and challenges him to a match. Edge says that Foley never had a classic at WrestleMania and this is his chance. Foley rejects the challenge of a wrestling match and instead challenges Edge to a hardcore match. Then Foley says he's found something in it. Or something like that. Yeah, something like that. fire deep inside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joey Styles then joins JR and Lawler on commentary for this one. It's Edge versus Mick Foley. It's 14 and a half minutes long and ends when Edge spears Foley from the apron onto a flaming table uh, through it. And then Edge gets the pin on the outside of the ring. Matt. I was struggling what to say about this one. This match is it's all about the finish. And they almost, and in fact, they kind of said it in the build-up that, you know, Foley had never had that defining classic WrestleMania moment, which basically is, is what, you know, other than helping Edge continue trying to get, you know, keep some momentum that he lost a little bit after losing the title to John Cena. This this match was designed, for one, for Foley to get his moment, two, for Edge to try and get some heat back. To be fair to them, they, they managed to do that. Foley definitely got his moment. He's written about it in his book. He, he was happy with it. He feels that he finally got that cool mania moment. And let's face it, we've all seen the... the you know, the spear through the flaming table and video packages ever since. So for you know, for that reason, they can tick down in the box. But there was something there was something about this that this match felt dated. And what's really interesting is that it was only I think it was only two years prior that just after WrestleMania that Foley came out of retirement to face Randy Orton at Backlash in in a similar type of match, which is one of my favorite McFoley matches that they've ever had. And just in that space of two years that one, the one with Orton felt amazing. 
and this one felt really dated and i i can't quite pick up on why i don't know what it was there was maybe it was use of barbed wire or what but there were were things in this that just didn't quite feel it it just felt out of place and it was like okay i I don't know if there's the place in the business for this anymore that they tried to do some clever things which on paper looked great but i don't think came across as quite well you know like foley coming out with his sort of black check shirt instead of his you know his normal red flannel one and then you know open the the shirt to show he had the barbed wire ring around his belly which on paper i thought probably sounded great but when they actually did it i don't think it came across and it took a bit of time for the announcers to explain it so, so that was a little bit of a distraction the thumbtack spot i mean again it's just there was just things about it that, that didn't work for me this time i mean and there was of all the things that and it wasn't really the use of a weapon or whatever but probably one of the most unsettling moves in the match which stuck with me even after the show as well is edge grabbed foley's head and almost in a russian leg sweep like fashion just threw his head onto the steel ramp which i thought was the most stupid thing that they did in the entire match because he was it was just so dangerous i mean there, there was no cushion in that fall he was just all you know ricochet his head off the floor which that, that really shocked me and it, and it stuck with me i mean I'll, I'll give props to lita for, for getting involved in the match she she played her part really well once edge had won the I, I know we you know we talked about visuals earlier, but I, I will say that I felt that Edge had a fantastic visual of him, you know, sort of shaking, you know, after getting the pin and the blood in his eye. He looked like he'd just been, been through a war and come out the other side. So that looked cool. So I think it did achieve the objective that they set off to do, but this didn't work for me. What did you think, Tom? I fucking loved this match. I thought it was so much fun. I haven't ever seen the Randy Orton match, so I may I may go back in and take a look at that. I yeah, I really enjoy it because there's something completely different. I mean, obviously you get the Shawn Michaels McMahon match, but like the this has got like a bit of like the greatest hits, but it's got the thumbtack spots in it, and and I fair fucking fucks to edge for taking some of the damage that he takes in this match because it's it's quite easy to think of like mick foley as being like the hardcore guy who takes all this punishment and stuff like that but edge takes his fair this fair licks i think what you said about uh, lita playing her role in the match is great the bit where she jumps on foley's back and then he does the foley kind of close on off the top rope is mad because lita is like an inch away from killing herself i think like because i don't think she rolls she tucks her neck so it nearly like breaks her neck going over the top rope the fire spot is pretty fucking spectacular at the end i always think that i i actually quite like i don't really like joey styles but i quite like the addition of him on commentary because to what you said earlier about Tinky about JR in the main event I think he would have gone into Mick Foley trying to kill himself cliche overdrive in this match I really like that spot at the beginning where he's got where Mick's got the barbed wire around him and it just spears him I think that's really I think that's a really cool spot I really like this match I thought it was a lot of fun and the reality is I don't really watch that much hardcore wrestling or have ever really watched that much hardcore wrestling. So I quite enjoy it because it's something completely different for me. And I thought it was I thought it was really good. I thought it was well placed in the card as well. Lot f- uh, deep enough in for it to feel important, but not in enough to overshadow any of the main events or anything like that. I thought it was good. I, I really, I love it. This is my match tonight. Yes. I thought this was <clears throat> I thought this was great. I thought this was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. And I think that's a really key distinction that you made, Tom, is that this isn't happening and it may have been happening every week for all I know back then, but in my mind it's not happening all the time. 
which is where I would have a problem with it. If you save it for an occasion like this, and the reason why you save it for an occasion like this is because then you can take risks. Because if you do it all the time, at some point the risks is exponentially going to, the odds are you're going to suffer the, the consequences of what you're doing. But if you only do it now and again, and you do it with someone like Mick Foley, who is obviously an expert, if you like, at this kind of thing, then you're fine. And and I just think it's it's just cracking. I loved the thing with Fleeta on top of his back going over with the over. The, I just thought I was absolutely insane. I and and I really watched this as if I was watching it for the first time because I couldn't remember any of the match other than the flaming table spot at the end. The bit with the when he throws his head into the into the ramp mat that you you brought up. I I kind of get that. I did kind of wince a little bit at the time, but also he, he's done it many times before. I did it in WCW a lot of times. It's one of his signature spots, much like a lot of what he did in this not only fair play to to Lita for getting on Foley's back but also then taking the soccer with potentially barbed wire wrapped yeah. around it I just she did enter into the spirit of this in a way that you don't often see your corner people do like you just wouldn't get them involved in this to this extent do you know what my least favorite part of this match was um is it the hang on you're gonna say Joe Stars <laughs> Joe Stars no. oh my god no. No, no. Is it the 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 spot with Mick Foley holding the barbed wire bat against Edge's forehead? No, my my least favorite thing is nothing that either of the two people do, and it actually goes against my MVP here because I get pissed off with the crowd because here they are. We've already got the barbed wire out. Like the first thing is barbed wire around Mick Foley. He's gone round, and the reason Tom you love that spot is it's got to be a Back to the Future type callback like it's, it it's basically marty getting shot when he's got the metal plate on and then mad dog trying to punch dog, him yeah. in the stomach well um, there's and well, there's also there's also sort of bret hart against goldberg in WCW. yeah that's true yeah so, that's true all very um, all bats the future bret hart lovely stuff there's, you've already got the barbed wire and everything involved there's already like mad chair shots and mad baking tray shots going on and then a table comes out and they go mental for it. I I'm like, what say. is wrong with you stupid cunts? Like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? It's a table. Who cares? It's a fucking table. There's barbed wire. There's steel chairs. There's all kinds of nonsense going on here. But you get excited for the fucking table coming out. And I was just like, you don't deserve nice things. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I, I, like, since, I think it's been since we've been doing this. Like, that is the other than probably a referee especially like an oh Hebner going you're out of here yeah. someone interfering on the outside the table is the biggest pop every time and yep. it's so weird isn't it it's so strange i don't I, get it yeah i don't get it either guaranteed pop it's like a it's a cheap pop is that's what it is it's a cheap pop yeah but yeah overall i loved it and i yeah master night for me just really really like this so then we get some uh, some stuff that I know Matt is destined to love. It's uh, it's Booker T and Charmel, and they are backstage. Charmel's scared. Why are all the uh, freaks after you, Booker T? As they walk through a corridor and they run into Paul. I think it's Paul Burchill, isn't it? Playing the yeah. pirate. Yeah, it's pirate gimmick. Uh, and then he goes past DiBiase and Eugene, who are recreating one of DiBiase's classic skits that he did back in the 80s with uh, Child. At, at Mae Young and Snitsky, where Snitsky is licking Mae Young's toes. And then Goldust as well. Goldust tries to give Booker T a pep talk to tune in to his inner freak. Goldust says that Booker should take Boogeyman's worms and put them in his and then whispers in Booker T's ear. We don't hear it ourselves. And Booker T looks at him with wide eyes and says, tell me you didn't just say that. I mean, I loved it. I know Matt's not going to like it, but I loved oh, it. Oh, fuck off, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, no. I liked it all, apart from the fact that Million Dollar Man's there. He's not a freak. He's he's, he's a yeah. gimmick, 
But I, I was a little bit like, he's not a freak. He's the very wealthy evil. Well, man. Nor is Eugene, in fairness. No, it's <laughs> a freaking point. <laughs> it's the simple man. <laughs> do, do you know what? And, and how can I? Oh God, no! I shouldn't even say this because I could end up sounding like a dick. I, I think they think, oh yeah, they could class Eugene as a freak. That that's what I think. Anyway, yes, you're right. You are right. <laughs> I'm not saying that he is. Let's get that right. <laughs> no, no, I, I I understood what you were saying. Yeah. No, I just I I I genuinely find it funny. I, there's just something yeah. about Booker T I find funny. I just find his his, his stick in general really funny. But also, I think his and his reaction, his his look of confusion and disgust whenever he interacts with Goldust is always funny. Because they were in like a tag team together as well, weren't yeah. they, for a long time? And they did loads of really funny. Like that one where like he like gets into like bed with him or something oh, like that. And it's his his reaction because. He plays like because Booker T. This was brilliant about Booker T. This is why why the King Booker is is amazing as well. It's he plays it so straight and so serious, and his comedic timing is absolutely phenomenal. I I'm, I'm with you, and I like that bit, even though I disagree with the fact that Ted DiBiase is there. The bit at the end where you see them all lined up, and Snitsky's like. That definitely wasn't my fault. I was like, ah, that was the only redeeming bit of this. Because how that man got a phrase of that wasn't my fault over to such a degree is amazing. So older Mark Henry could do a uh, could do a leaf from Snitsky because I tell you, it's time for the main event. It's not a catchphrase. (laughs) It's never going to get over, Mark. (laughs) So you need to have a little word with Snitsky. Especially on Rampage, which is now presumably their third show, given that they've got the new one coming out. Anyway, then we get Todd Grisham very briefly with the winners of the Snickers WrestleMania sweepstakes. And then Joe Theismann, voice of Monday Night Football in the crowd. And so is Michelle Williams. They're like, she's such a big fan. She demanded front row seats. (laughs) (laughs) He paid for her to be there and sing America the Beautiful. So she's like, oh, why not? Moving on. Hype video for the Mickey, James, and Trish Stratus match, which we've obviously covered, so we won't go into that again. Then we get the close-up of McMahon's chest and his uh, praying to God, which is absolutely fucking brilliant. It's just that he is hilarious. He is absolutely hilarious here. Then we get um, the Druids wheeling a casket to the ring. (laughs) We see the video hype for Mark Henry's match with The Undertaker, where Mark Henry prevents Taker from winning the World Heavyweight title, then splashing Taker through an announced table on SmackDown. I thought this was a particularly anemic build-up for this Mm -hmm. match, again, given that it's The Undertaker. And then we get Undertaker versus Mark Henry, a a nine-and-a-half-minute match, which ends when Taker hits a tombstone and rolls henry into the casket then shuts the lid for the win to go 14 and 0 at wrestlemania there's one thing i will say before we get into this is a great sign of the undertaker's eyes rolling up into his head oh, similar yeah. to the uh sign that you saw the other week of molly holly's hair yeah. going up and down a similar sort of um motion here tom what did you think of this one uh, do you know this match was so much better than I thought it was going to be? Because I'm like, Mark Henry versus The Undertaker. I've never seen this match. And I was like, this is going to be shit. And I watched it and I was like, we we discussed in the, in our early, early episodes, Tinky. You were like, there's a reason why The Undertaker is different from other big men. And I tell you, the way he fucking comes off the ropes in this match like, onto Mark Henry is absolutely mind-blowing that a man of that size can move at that speed and be so agile. 
It's still not a very good match, though, but it's definitely better than what I thought it was going to be. And The Undertaker picking up Mark Henry for a tombstone and delivering a kind of modified version of the last ride really is quite spectacular. So I've got to give fucking big props to them. And I tell you what, you bring out the fucking druids at the beginning, and I'm in. You know what I mean? I bloody love the druids, and the ha 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 as they come down. Fucking love it. So bring me, give me druids, give me every Undertaker match should be a casket match, in my opinion. So yeah, go on, Undertaker. <laughs> I gotta be honest, Tom, I'm glad it's not because the casket matches is one of the worst matches ever. I, the gimmick is just not good, and that's coming from someone who's. One of his very first shows had a casket match, and I've seen it about 500 times, and I still could watch it now, no problem at all. Casket matches are not good. <laughs> no, I know, but do, do, do you know what the reality is, I think I enjoyed this more because of the casket stipulation than I would have had it not had it. Fair enough. This was so much worse <laughs> than I remembered it being. This was fucking dreadful. I, I remember at the start thinking, oh, God, I, I knew this was an after match. But before I even, you know, rewatch the show. But like I said, it, it was even worse. I mean, all right, okay. Tombstone, massively impressive. That that's cool. L- last ride, nah, sorry, that that doesn't work for me. That was a very shitty power bomb, and I've seen Undertaker do better. Nah, don't work for me. Nah. <laughs> the casket stipulation, God no, I, it just doesn't work. Is I will say is dive off the top rope. That is impressive, but like. I, I yeah I I cringe every time I see him. I just think he's gonna die. <laughs> but, Do you mean his dive over the top rope? Yeah yeah. So his yeah. big dive, yeah, you know, massive dive, and, and like, you know clearing the casket as well. I'm always just worried that he's gonna kill himself. I, I still haven't forgiven them for again for not including Mark Henry's proper theme music. And they had the rights to it because I'm sure they paid the band to create the song because it's on so, one of the WWE albums. So so this is. Three Six Mafia. Somebody's yes, gonna get their ass. Somebody's now, gonna get their ass kicked. I, I don't know if he had it at this point, did he? Yes, he did. Really? Because yeah. I've watched many many cards with Mark Henry on where they have got the music. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder why it's not on this one specifically. I know. I was like, what the hell? Because it was the most generic song music ever. Do you know? What? It's it's not often that. I, I stick up for The Undertaker, but you know what? Damn it, I'm, I'm going to do it here. I, I think people know that I, I'm not the biggest Undertaker fan in the world, but, you know, as I have said, look, with the exception of this show, you know, WrestleMania 21, um, and from 23 onwards, for, for years, you know, he has the best match on the show uh, and is one of the uh, was one of the stars of the show and has, and as many other shows, has been the biggest star on the show for years. But not only that, but prior to this, you know, he wrestled Kurt Angle for the world title about a month before in fucking great match, which was really good. And his reward for that is a shitty casket match with Mark Henry. They really screwed him over here. You could even tell as well by like the 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 build, the way they presented it. They just they just wanted to get it done and out of the way. They just wanted to make Mark Henry a notch on his belt so they could move on with their lives. And like I said, I, I feel this was an absolute waste of Undertaker and, and quite a shame, actually. There you go. I, I'm not in disagreement with the fact that this is rubbish. I thought it was it was rubbish, but actually better than I thought it was going to be. I, I didn't think it was going to be that, that great. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was going to be worse than this. So I'm, 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 I was pleasantly surprised. I am impressed with the last ride. I am impressed with the tombstone. I am impressed with the suicide dive over the top. Those three moves were enough for me to make this watchable and worth the bother um they were also obviously really trying quite hard to 
they really built Mark Henry for this match as well. They sort of rehabilitated him. And I think, in fairness to him, 10 years after he debuted with the company, he got it. His facial expressions mm. were there. He looked like a really tough guy. He looked like a really quite scary guy. Unfortunately, though, still couldn't really wrestle, which is a shame. I don't know if that character needs to be able to, particularly. Yeah, I don't know if like a gigantic guy who might brand himself as the Hall of Pain of the World's Strongest Man needs to necessarily be a particularly great wrestler. But I think, like Tinky said, his, his in-ring psychology has got better as he's gone on. Like I said, I didn't think I'm not I'm not going to go back and watch this match anytime soon immediately. But I'm in the same camp as thinking that my expectations for this match were fucking through the floor. So the fact that it, I didn't find this absolutely dreadful and it wasn't overly long made me think this was decent enough. I would score this a five out of ten if I scored wrestling matches. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. So then we get the old uh, Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels stuff. Then we get a tiny bit of a a cut. Don't know what was we've cut out, mm. but it's a tiny bit of a cut to Cole and Taz. Then there's the video package for the World Heavyweight Title match. It's Angle winning the title from uh, someone. Is that right? I don't know. I said I put here Angle winning the title from Angle, so that can't be yeah, right. It was in a, um, it was in a battle, battle royal, it was. Ah, uh, right, okay. Um, Mysterio winning the Rumble and dedicating the win to Eddie. Orton beating Mysterio for his shot at WrestleMania. Teddy Long adding Mysterio to the match again. Mediocre music over the top. Don't know what it was, but yeah. mediocre. Shine down, I dare you. <laughs> um, and then we got P.O.D. performing Booyaka yeah, play music, Mysterio to the Ring. Now, I remember P.O.D. from the very early 2000s and remembering them to be another really poor, mediocre, generic <laughs> rock band. But they didn't seem to be a generic, poor, mediocre rock band here. They seem to have a little bit of Latin flavour to them. So I was like, actually, this is, a, this is a little bit more than I was expecting from P.O.D. I don't think that MC's in P.O.D., though. Uh, okay. No, I don't think he is. <laughs> no, because they, they did the, ah, I feel so alive. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. They, did, they did Alive, they did Boom, Youth of the Nation. Alive is literally one of the worst songs ever written, ever. So you're, that's you're the a sacrifice. Big... I know, that's the, yeah, the, the sacrifice video thing that they did, or the desire thing. That was it. That was great. For The Rock, they did it for. I don't care they did it for. It. The fucking oh. terrible song. Oh, okay, here it is a question, man. This is a real fucking test of your credentials, mate. So, P.O.D., from my recollection, are a Christian rock band? I believe so, yes. What are your thoughts on Creed? Love Creed. Oh, thank God for that. Oh, Tinky. He, he, might, he may have, <laughs> may have redeemed himself a little bit there. I will, I will say, though, for, for a moment, I will say that we all love Creed completely ironically okay because they are actually completely shit but we no, love no, them no I no, yeah. no 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 the the lead singer of creed that's probably the most angelic voice of a man i've ever heard in my life you know, know. that's just i mean that's that's the reason we like them ironically because of oh, the voice it wouldn't so i reckon it's amazing when, when did when did creed in... god speaking to me <laughs> When, when did when did creeding start, Tinky? My earliest recollection of us creeding was when we went to Paris. I think that's probably school trip, and yeah, I think that was probably when, yeah. And I reckon we we were creeding from that point on, which is obviously, as you can imagine, Matt is just us singing any song in the style of Creed. Oh, um, so and bad. then and then it kind of we we always did it, and I can remember we went to Newquay, I think, and me and Tinky were doing it, and our buddy Jordan was like what are you doing? And we were like, 
for creeding, obviously. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean creeding? And we were like, well, listen to this. We played like My Sacrifice or, or something like that. And he was like, oh my God, what's wrong with this guy's voice? And then he's become an adamant creeder since what? as well, hasn't he? What's wrong with this guy? How amazing is this guy's voice is what you're thinking. It's a, but like, what about, do you like Pearl Jam? No, nah, not crazy on Pearl Jam. You're mental. You are so weird. You're so full of contradictions. Yeah, and Pearl Jam are like... Pearl Jam are actually really good, <laughs> and I think like to not, and not ironically. I no, and I, and I will listen. I will listen to a Creed album every now and again, and it will really put me in a good mood. But I, but because of the mainly because of the the kind of the associations I have with Creed, but I don't generally don't think it's very good. But but I enjoy it nevertheless. But you're telling me you actually really genuinely love it, Creed. They're amazing. I, I I was in charge of a team meeting at work recently, and we on a Friday we'll play a song, just a song that we like before we start the meeting, and it was my turn to pick, and I chose Creed by Sacrifice. <laughs> Everyone, so we were, I think we told the story in the podcast for but we had a New Year's Eve party once at the house that me and old man used to live at. And uh, Tinky cleared a room by walking in there and playing My Sacrifice and air drumming and not saying a word to anyone. He just walked into the room, put it on, sat down and air drummed. It was absolutely <laughs> magnificent. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So um, but it's uh, anyway, I, 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 I think I'm just I'm, I have to stop even addressing your taste in music matters, because it so baffles me that i i'm like i, I have to just i can't what's, i just can't what's wrong with pod though pod is great your thing is tinky is you need to come around to my way it doesn't baffle me in the slightest it makes perfect sense matt's well, taste in music because of the kerrang thing that you said is anything that's on kerrang he loves yeah. either in a good way or a bad way whereas whereas i think we've got slightly different filters obviously that will go through because i think hey. it's it's very easy to understand it's a very simple algorithm for matt's music well, i guess i guess there's google correct i guess i guess there's that but but anyway let's just move on um <laughs> it's the world have title match time it's a nine and a half minute contest between kurt angle randy orton and ray mysterio this one ends when ray counters an angle slam with an arm drag and then hits orton with a 619 and a west coast pop for the victory after the match chavo and vicky come out to celebrate with ray and uh, we have another nice little moment in tribute to eddie matt what are your thoughts on this one i want to get the bad stuff out of the way first because i did like the match so i'll, I'll be quite quick or i'll be trying to be as brief with that as i possibly can unfortunately for ray mysterio this was the start of some really shitty booking for him and the crowd didn't help him in this match either the way the Ray was booked to get into this match was awful and made him look like the weakest baby face in the world. All right, okay, so in, you know, in the uh, the video package, he agreed to put his title shot on the line because Randy Orton said the incredibly tasteless things about Eddie Guerrero being in hell. So Ray put his title shot on the line. Randy Orton won, so it was going to be Orton versus Angle. And then basically, Teddy Long felt sorry for Ray, so he put him in the match. Didn't make him have to wrestle or anything to do. He just went, oh, by the way, I didn't think it was fair, so you're in. Oh, okay. Didn't really like that. Just felt like they kind of gifted it to him, but... All right, whatever. Yeah, so like I said, I mean, and again, his, his title reign was awful, but yeah, that, that's later. But anyway, the, the the match itself, they were hurt a little bit by the fact that it was 
really short and you could tell by that because I felt they started going a million miles an hour as soon as it started now all that being taken into account they absolutely did the best they could and it was actually quite good and it actually it exceeded what I remembered I actually was really disappointed with this at the time I had incredibly high expectations for it at this time but it, it surpassed them the crowd really really were into Kurt Angle at the time and you know he was kind of doing his sort of you know wrestling machine almost suplexity to you know Brock Lesnar type stuff and they were really into it it's kind of sad how they were kind of you know going against Ray because he he was really the you know the proper baby face in this I mean I say it wasn't but uh Orton was a great heel there were some good stuff in this the other the triple sort of German suplex spot was great I thought Orton was really good in this Kurt again was great suplexing everybody Ray was zipping around everywhere there was a slightly and I do feel really bad for him towards the finish it was a slightly mistimed 619 around the ring post, which I'm sure he was kicking himself about afterwards that he didn't hit. But this was, I mean, this match was set up for Ray to win. They did that. And like I said, it, it, it was a good match. I think with a little bit more time, it could have been even better. But yeah, I, I think the crowd kind of ruined it a little bit by you know, pretty much shitting over Ray's win, which is a, which is a shame. Well, I think there's no reason to want Rey Mysterio to win this match. Not only because of the booking going into it, as you said, Matt, but in the way he's booked in the match as well. Like, he, there's like a moment, he taps, he taps out in, in the match, even though the um, he taps at taps the ankle lock. And Randy, the only reason the way the match doesn't end is because Randy Orton is pulling away the referee. And then the same thing happens later on, but reversed in that Randy Orton taps and Rey Mysterio, rather than coming in and doing something like in looking what would be remotely seen as like intelligent, i.e. like, I don't know, like we saw in one of the and things in the triple threat match, like maybe for example, Rey Mysterio grabbing Randy Orton's arm to stop him from tapping or anything. He does the same thing. He just grabs the referee and, and pulls him and stops him from noticing it, which again, I think makes from a baby face perspective, I think that makes him look cowardly and a bit chicken shit. I didn't think the Rey Mysterio is booked at all well in this match. You're 100% right. Angle is, is the most popular person in the match randy orton could be anyone in this match you know he, he offers nothing i didn't really i didn't think to be perfectly honest in this match i didn't think it would have been better to have had a one-on-one contest I mean, we've seen it at summerslam 2002 the incredible match that kurt angle and Rey mysterio have i don't think you need to in- insert randy orton into this match at all also felt a little bit weird looking at kurt angle because kurt angle is not looking great in this match his move is his wrestling is still unbelievably good i will never not be amazed at when he runs up the rope up the turnbuckle and suplexes someone or does an angle slam on someone off that because it blows my mind but he's starting to get those weird skinny arms which he has towards the end of his end of his like wwe career i can remember looking at him when he was wrestling in like ecw right at the end before he before he leaves and joins tna thinking he doesn't look healthy and he's starting to look unhealthy I thought in this match, this match should be a lot better than it is. They're not helped by their time constraints. I think Vince McMahon and Shawn Michaels massively overruns. I think that's probably what the what the issue is, and that's why they've cut this. And they're not obviously going to cut time from the Triple H match, are they? So this is the one they they cut. I thought the entrance with POD was quite good though. Although I don't know why Rey Mysterio comes out and then goes up and puts on a headdress and comes back out again. It made it look like he just forgot it. But yeah, I don't. I was left wanting more from this match than I had. But the triple suplex spot, as you mentioned, Matt, is is amazing as well. It's a really good spot. And 
And Kurt Angle is just on another planet at this point. He's so fucking good. But ultimately, I think this match should have been a couple of minutes longer and should have been better than what it was. So I, I agree with nearly everything you said there, Tom, except I think it's a bloody great match. I really thought this was a great match. I would have loved another five, ten minutes of it. But I felt like, like you said, Matt, they went from the very beginning, they went really fast. But they gave themselves an out for that, which was that Randy Orton hits Kurt Angle with the title belt immediately before the bell's even gone. So unlike a lot of matches where I've seen them sort of go to the big moves and the near falls from the very beginning and it doesn't feel doesn't feel real, doesn't feel like they've done enough work to get there. In this in this instance, I felt they were perfectly fine to go there because of that that start. And I just thought everything they did was looked amazing. I lo- I honestly thought that triple threat German suplex triple German suplex thing was sensational. I just thought it was absolutely out of this world. The timing is the big thing there, and they just it made they make it look absolutely brilliant. I thought it was, I just thought I was so into it all the way through, right from the get go. I, I instantly into it. If it had been another five minutes long, this would have been my match of the night. At a canter, it would have been easily the best match on the show. It was a really, really good match. Uh, yeah, it is a shame. It is a shame there's only nine and a half minutes. And I do agree, Tom, they've got the booking of Rey Mysterio all wrong. But if you view it as a, well, it doesn't matter because you've got a baby face in the match and it's Kurt Angle, then it's just great. Kurt Angle's amazing. Orton doesn't need to be there necessarily, but I did think he, I did think that they making it a triple threat match here didn't didn't harm it, which usually it would in my view. And I, I also kind of think that they perhaps made a mistake the previous year having Orton and Undertaker because this probably would have been a better time for them given what else is on the show, you know. But mm. um, so that's all the show. That's the entire show. We've covered everything else that's on this show. After this is obviously the Candice, Candice Michelle and Tori Wilson match and the John Cena Triple H match. So I'm going to go to you now for your scores out of ten. Um, because you've given, I think, all of our national nights and MVP. So it's just scores out of 10 and your overall view on the show. Let's start with Tom. Um, This show exceeded my expectations. I really enjoyed this show. There's only three matches on there that I thought were a bit shit. And that's the Playboy match, which I obviously didn't watch, the Boogeyman versus Booker T, and JBL versus Chris Benoit. But that only totals to about 20 minutes of the show, bell to bell. So there's not a lot to really dislike. The John Cena Triple H match was a bit meh as the main event, but at the same time, it was weird enough with the crowd reactions, etc., that I, I found some enjoyment out of it, despite the fact that I feel like it could have had a couple of minutes trimmed off of it, especially if that gave the World Heavyweight title match a few more minutes. Overall, I would give this a 7. What about you, Matt? I struggled what to, to come up with in terms of a score. Um, it, it felt like very much a mixed bag to me. Definitely some good, definitely some bad. I do remember it quite similarly to how I how I viewed it previously. So, do you know, I, yeah, I'm kind of torn, but I think I'm going to go with, to probably be as fair as I can, I think I'm going to go with a five. <clears throat> I, had a, I had a feeling you were going to go for a five then, Matt. Yeah. I, too, am going to give this a seven. I was shocked by how good this was. I really was. I thought this was going to be a three or four before I started watching it. And as the show went on, I was like, this is bloody good. I, I was kind of like, well, Money in the Bank ladder match, really good. Hardcore match, really good. That's the first hour to excellent matches stood out there then you get the women's title match and the Shawn michaels vincent man in the next sort of hour and a half i'm like well that's another two really good matches then we get the world heavyweight title match which i've already kind of said about how much i liked i just thought it was really really good and even though i didn't think the main event was great it was a bit average because there was only one of them unlike wrestlemania 21 where there were two of them (laughs) it was a, a much easier thing to get through and i yeah i was really surprised by i've rated this higher than i rated wrestlemania 21 and i'm shocked by that I did not expect that at all. But I think this is a better show. I really did enjoy this a lot. 
And I think a lot of that goes down to who my MVP was, which was that Chicago crowd, because they were into everything from the beginning. That tag team match with Big Show and Kane is enjoyable because the fans actually care. They're actually putting some effort into cheering for Big Show and Kane during the match. And it really came across that they wanted somebody to win and from the get go from that point on they didn't let up they went all the way a four-hour show where they didn't let up and even managed to bring the heat for triple h and john cena i think it is a, a testament to to a good crowd here so that's average rating is 6.33 amongst us where does that put us in the overall table so that puts wrestlemania 22 behind 17 19 21 and 10 on our overall table but it is pretty high i mean it's fifth um, oh. highest so far wow. which which i did not expect to see That's i really very I high. yeah but but i <laughs> i'm having seen it i'm like i liked it I, I could watch it again which is not something i thought i would say i'm not going to mm. but i could <laughs> do you two want to go back and reevaluate your scores for wrestlemania 3 <laughs> <laughs> no wrestlemania 3 is just below this in fairness it's the next one fine <laughs> Right then, that is all of the business done for today. So all that's left for me to do is thank you, Tom, for joining us today. Thank you very much. A quick thing I wanted to quickly mention before we go. Rest in peace to the Iron Sheik, who passed away a few days prior to the recording of the show. He was a, uh, a hell of a character and a great heel back in the day. So our thoughts are with the Iron Sheik. And Glenn Jacobs is a cunt. And Matt, thank you for your contributions as well pleasure as always gentlemen i am now gonna go and listen to some creed my sacrifice to you know mellow out and enjoy the rest of my evening <laughs> mellow out that is not a song you've listened to to mellow out <laughs> this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back again in a couple of weeks time with wrestlemania 23 but until then take care <laughs>